Steven. No, 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 no! Ah! Coke Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encouraged, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. us out welcome to coco talk episode 213 and we got a great show in store for you boys and girls uh, we got all kinds of people in the live chat kevin holloway's been here since like 2 a.m last night he got here like 23 and a half hours early thank you kevin for being here uh mark bosley l curtis boyle uh, mark overholzer uh, Nick Murata's out there. Sean Ernst is out there. Kevin Holloway, Sloopy Malibu, Canadian Retro Things, Eight Bits in the Basement. T- Tom Eric Gunderson, Mikey, he likes it. Sixie, Karen, Jim Rye, they're all here. And we want to just apologize in advance, but thank you for being here. We've got uh, we've got a great panel. We've got special guests. We've got an interview. We've got a segment. We've got a teaser. We got so much more. So let's go around the room and say hi to our regulars, and then say hi to our guest, our backup streamer and engineer, Mark Bosley's here. Hello, Mark. Hello. Our resident Apple guy and poster of the news links, Mark D. Overholzer is here. Hello, Marco. Hello, I am here. We have the ambassador for the color computer community and Facebook, Ron Delvo, is here. Hey, Ron is here. He's uh, he works cool, for man. He, yeah, he works for Apple, and he's a happy guy. John Lowry's here. Hey, it wasn't me. How you doing? Uh, Sloopy Malibu is here. 
Greetings. The poster of timestamps. So for those of you who watch the show later on or listen to it on a podcast, he has broken down the timestamps of all the significant and insignificant portions of our show so you can hyper jump to whatever your least or favorite part of the show is. Uh, matter of fact, somebody left a comment recently saying hyperlinks. I don't need no stinking hyperlinks. I've read this whole book front to back. So, uh, so some people are like, I'm just going to hear it anyways. I don't care what you what you do it. So, but that's a compliment hey, on both cases, right? So, that's against my union. <laughs> we have from O Canada, L Curtis Boyles here. Hello, L Curtis. Hello, everyone. And of course, the insignificant parts of those links is the much larger table. Of the yeah, table. that snoozy, newsy crap. Uh, name so nice. We must say it thrice. You know him. You love him. It's none other than Nick Marona. Hello, Nick Marona. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's in Nick's contract. I've got to drop that soundbite at least every three episodes. So I got yeah, that in there. Uh, check. All right. Yes, Good. yes, yes, yes. Good the. Uh, I'm not sure if Curtis is the left hand or the right hand, if he's the yin or the yang, but he is one half of that swirly circle of Nitrous 9. The other half is Bill Noble. How's it going, eh? Hey, guys. <laughs> Good to see you, Bill. We got the man with the beard. Patrick Eulen is here. Hey, Rick, how are you? Howdy, folks. Now, for those of you not aware, the Game On segment, one of the most popular segments on the show, one of Nick Marotta's most favorite uh, parts of the show, was a suggestion from Mr. Dave 6809. Have you downgraded Mr. Dave? Are you no longer, or did you not upgrade your handle for Zoom? But Mr. Dave is here. How you doing, Mr. Dave? Yeah, I'm always good. Thanks for the nice intro. There you go. If you like Game On, you can thank him. If you don't, you can send hate mail to mrdave609 at discord.com. Uh, Alan Murphy's here. How you doing, Alan? Howdy, howdy, everyone. Uh, he's here. This guy is usually excited about being here. We'd like to call him... David Ladd. David, how do you feel about being on the show today? Why, hello everyone, and how is everybody doing? I'm doing fine so far. Are we ready for this train ride today? I certainly am. Let's see if we stay on the rails today. I hear ya. This guy's got so many Ferraris that his neighbors say things like, Oh, crikey! It's Nicholas Morantes. Good eye, Nick. Oh, 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 hi, hi, hi. Has the show started? <laughs> yes, wake him up. So, so, somebody roll him over and check him for a pulse. All right, uh, James Diffendaffer's here. Hello, James. It wasn't me. You can't prove a thing. That is it. That is it. So, we have special guest number one. We're going to talk to here for a minute before we get to special guest number two. But George, Jay, how are you, sir? Just fine, fine. Just sitting here listening to uh, all this chat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very I nice another, way of I had it. another word for it, but I'll, I'll use chat. <laughs> there yeah, we go. Cleaned it, cleaned it up. Yes, yes. So thank you for joining us. And uh, I'm going to let you roll with this, but why don't you just start off by telling us, and, and, and by the way, I have a short version of, of your history when we talk about who's new to Discord, but tell us a little bit about your, your past with computers and the Coco and your present, what you're doing now, and maybe drop a little tease of what we can expect from you in the near future. All right, I'll give it a try. <laughs> uh, first of all, from St. Louis, Missouri, Gateway to the West with the Arch here. Uh, 78 years old, been in the computer business since, uh, I guess 1968. I really 
learned about uh, data processing when I was in the Air Force back in uh, 63, 64. They assigned me for a while. Uh, well, I was an air traffic controller, but I had a problem, and so they assigned me for a while to do key punching. And I was a key punch operator. If anybody remembers all them cards with the holes in them, I did that for a while. That's how I started to get interested. Anyway, I moved up to, uh, went, went back to school, learned some programming, or an IBM 1401. That was before the 360 series. So it was a big computer, but it was not as powerful as a Coco. So then we moved on to... Uh, the 360 year, and I spent uh, the next 37 years working on IBM mainframes, uh, networking computers, network software, uh, operating system software, uh, things of things of that nature. Worked for various companies. I worked in the IBM development lab in San Jose, California, for a few years, and then back to St. Louis. Most of my uh, experience has been in online programming. This is prior to internet, prior to a 300 baud modem. The ones we first started with when we was working with them were 75 baud modems. So you can imagine how fast they were. <laughs> wow. There was no computer screens. It was all done on a, like a Telex typewriter type equipment. So, so a long, long time ago. Okay. Uh, I forgot, I forgot more stuff than I can remember. That's for sure. Uh, I guess early eighties, whenever the co color computer come out. I got one very early. I think it cost me $600 for a computer and a tape recorder. Uh, then I moved on to Color Computer 2 and finally to Color Computer 3. And at some point in time, uh, my other hobby, which is my main hobby, is cars. I, was, I work on cars quite a bit. I uh, kind of dropped working on a color computer. I got, I got tired of... Uh, I guess getting tired of worn out of burning EPROMs and using the ultraviolet lights to clean them off and all the things you do and all the wiring and the various things you do with color computer. Uh, so I just kind of lost interest in that stuff and moved on to other things. Uh, I'm skip forward to recently coronavirus. Uh, I've been retired for 16 years, by the way, and nothing to do with coronavirus. Couldn't go outside. I could work in my car, but I couldn't really go anywhere. So I, you know, I wonder what I could do with a color computer if I had one, because I had sold all my hardware, got rid of it. So I got on the internet, and lo and behold, there was, I figured there was nothing out there about color computers, but I found out there was a lot of stuff for color computers. <laughs> Surprise! Yeah, so after <laughs> many, many days and hours of research, I, Finally, found about uh, LW tools and Toolshed, Mess, and all them things. So I just started putting stuff together, and probably after a month or so, I had everything working. And so then, for the next six months, eight months, I sat and probed, programmed all in assembly language. Uh, what could I do to improve the color computer as it stood? Not in not under uh, OS nine, but under just how could I do it? So I wrote basically thousands of lines of code that would use the the, the gimme chip, the MM registers, able to load in just literally probably hundreds of, I'm going to call them DLLs for lack of terms, into upper many, often different pages. Whenever you want to call it, you could call them without having to go to the disk drive. So at startup, all the stuff is loaded in memory. 
use of F1, F2 keys to pop up windows, just a, just a whole sundry of things, uh, just to change the operating system to could be more useful. Probably nobody else would want to use it, but it was something to do. Uh, learned a lot more about the uh, gimme chip than, than I probably wanted to. So net it all out for 37 years and about 16 years of playing around. I've been an assembly language programmer. In the meantime, in there, I also run a shop that had quite a few programmers in it, and uh, we introduced Unix back in uh, early 80s too. So I learned to program C programming back in the early 80s, and I guess up until recently, that was my fallback language, writing in C sharp and uh, just writing stuff that's probably useless to the world other than me. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> yep. In fact, I spent uh, a long time working on uh, Zodiac. That thing that was been out there for 25 years. I tried deciphering that. I wrote so much code and cryptographic stuff that it's, it's uh, mind-boggling. I believe uh, Curtis had some screenshots of stuff that I wrote back for a color computer, OS 9, back in the 80s. And I didn't figure it was lost to the world. And uh, he showed me a picture of it last week, and I was kind of surprised. I think he's trying to bring up the screenshot somewhere. Yeah, he sent them to me. I'm going to try to bring them over to your screen right now. So here's one of them that's called uh, PAC. Yeah, put that back up again. Yeah, I have it up on on your screen now. Okay, I'm covering you. Right, I'm covering you for a moment there. Yeah, so here's a program called Pack. Looks like a command line utility. OS nine Pack version 02.02 .02 copyright 1987 by GB. Uh, is it Jan Jansen? Jansen, yes. Jansen. J okay, so Pack will pack and unpack files into a single. So is this kind of like zip and yeah, PK yes. zip and all that kind of stuff? Okay. Yes. Yeah, Curtis told me he used it for a long time. I didn't know it. I just wrote it and put it out there in public domain, and I didn't know that uh, it was, anybody had ever used it. Right. And then, uh, and then another one was this beauty here, this icon editor, which um, uh, if you're going to design trash cans, you might have some competition because Nick Morantes has kind of put a copyright <laughs> on that. But uh, yeah, This was a long time ago. I forgot all that stuff. But anyway, the, the <laughs> program the fact the the pack program I ported, we wrote it, a lot of it on a color computer. The rest of it was done in Unix, and finally it, it incorporated over on uh, on PC DOS. So it works right. on all three of them. I finally found the source code, and you can run it using the same files anywhere. Don't need any more because got zip out there now. So right, 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 right. It was stuff I did way, way back. So that's what thirty years ago. Yeah, it's funny because when we were doing our little kind of pre-interview test with you the other night you started uh, going off things and Curtis was like hey I think we might still have this in ease of use and everything you came up with he was able to pull up yep. <laughs> that's st there. still in the ease of use right now so your pack utility is there and your icon editor is there so for those of you who are downloading the ease of use um, you can see some of George's stuff on there um, so this was just a small snapshot of some things you've done as we say now in the retro world back in the day um, and you'd mentioned one, one more okay. back in 1980, September of 1982. Okay. I submitted my first thing to the world. I submitted a program to Chromaset of all things. Okay. And I actually published it in that two page flimsy piece of paper that they sent out on the uh, cassette tape. So I still have that. 
And I'm going to, when we get to uh, get into a course on a assembly language program, I'm going to use that as one of the examples. All right. Well, that's a great segue to let's just go ahead and drop the bomb that we are going to be, when I say we, I mean you, just like when I say to my wife, you know, we need to do this. I really mean her. Um, so we, Coco Talk, will be presenting you with a new series on assembly language programming for the color computer. And it's going to be actual code. So we're, where we did a series before with Steve Bjork, we talked about the instruction set and the processor and how to talk to the processor, which was a great primer. You are now going to give us a course on how to actually write assembly language code. And it's going to be aimed at beginners. And it's going to be things where you can see what you're doing and all that kind of stuff, right? So we're going to be looking forward to that in the near future. Um, and to go along with that, because we did a recent poll and did a survey, it turns out there were not enough channels in Discord. So we've added a channel to Discord that's called Assembly with George J., because of the fact that you are going to be giving us either code samples or source code or assembly files or disk images or any or all of the above. So where where can people get the material to play along at home with your series? Well, we're going to have a Discord channel for that. So uh, we don't have an exact date, but in the very near future, George, you're going to be doing that for us. And I can't thank you enough for that. Um, but I like the idea where we're going to be working on real code and we're going to be working on things that are going to be putting stuff on the screen so we can see what it is. Um, speaking of putting stuff on the screen, do you want to do a quick screen share and show what that program looks like that puts stuff on? Or is, that, is that too much to do right now? No, it's fine. We'll, okay. uh, we'll get it right here. So I'm, I'm a big fan of visual learning. So if there's something we can do um, to is, see. yeah, this, this will be the uh, program that I submitted to Chromaset back in September of 1982. Now i got to figure out how to get this thing to type in. There you go. You're typing. For those who don't know, uh, Chromoset was a tape-based magazine from back in the 80s for the Coco. It wasn't a print magazine. What are you running this on? MAME? MAME, yeah. On what? On Windows. I just, here's basic. Fill in this randomly attributes and characters on, on the screen in uh, this regular basic program. And now it will sort it. Okay, so this is the assembly language sorting the screen. Right. It's probably 20 to 25 instructions, but that was a thing where you could sort the screen whenever you felt like it. Nothing earth-shattering, but it gives you a good example of using uh, assembly language and, and doing the code real quickly. Yeah, and, and, and as, as we were talking before, this is similar to something that John Lowry, who's on the panel with us right now, he's been doing a couple of things as he's self-teaching um, where he's been making things dissolve in and out of the screen and stuff. So. Yep. It's neat. Oh, I like this one. Screen 80, 80 column, 40 column. This is, this is the same thing in the current version. This, here, there's basic right now characters to the screen. Okay, now here's going to be the assembly language doing 1,920 characters and 1,920 attributes randomly and putting them on the screen. There you go. Boom. <laughs> and I'm going to pre- I'm going to get through this quick. I'm going to press 2 to do the sort. And we're going to do the sort of the screen. In the upper left-hand corner, you'll see a little wheel up there spinning. Yeah. The farther it gets through the sort, the faster it goes. Now I'm going to go through the whole thing. We'll uh, yeah. press and get out of there. And they say, oh, this is all done on the color computers. No OS 9. This is all stuff. The pop-up windows are all done in the background. It's all off somewhere in another... Uh, 
page, if you will. We'll flip the screen size to 80 characters, and we'll start the same thing up. So remember, we'll get out of that because you don't want to sit here and watch yeah, this. Yeah, it kind of looks like the old MS-DOS defrag program where it's like <laughs> moving stuff <laughs> around on the screen. Yeah. Now, we're, now we're back to just regular Color Computer 3 screen. Uh, I changed the, the prompt from OK to Ready. It's just changes I made just to be making changes, I guess. COVID-19 made me do weird things. <laughs> <laughs> and, I and I didn't even have it. So Yeah. And Any quick questions? I mean, that's, that's kind of it. I, I do have a uh, one other thing maybe we could... Uh, Oh, okay. I, I, I just, no, that's okay. I, I just stopped your screen sharing, but go ahead. You got it back, right? Okay. Okay. There's some of the things that you may want to look at the Lance Leventhal's uh, 60 or nine programming book. Okay. It's very expensive now. I think I paid $17 for it back in uh, 82. It's pretty expensive on the internet now, but on color computer archives, you can download this uh, 60 X09 instruction set and it's Kind of gives you what every instruction does. Gives you a good idea what what the don't tell you how to use it, but at least you can understand some stuff. And you probably need to have an ASCII chart that shows you a hex and decimal what the characters are. Right, right. And also just to let people know, and we'll have to throw the link out there later on. Oh, you have it here, right? We're going to be basing this on the Long Branch Never develop environment that Paul Fiscarelli has a has a video, a great video telling you how to set up a development environment. So it's going to be based on that. But there's, there's different environments that are trying to get this where everybody can join in and do stuff. Some people may not be wanting to do it on uh, Windows with MES or MAME or LW tools. They may want to do it with MASM and EditSim or under OS 9. But I'm going to be doing everything with, I don't have any color computer equipment. I'm going to be using MES, MAME, LW tools, Toolshed, any of your choice. I've been using Visual Studio Code uh, and also Notepad++. Visual Studio Code, I liked it because you could hover over an instruction and it would pop up on the screen and pop up exactly, you know, what that instruction was. Caveat, I installed the latest version of Visual Studio Code and that broke. The code still works, but it doesn't do the pop-ups anymore. Uh, anyway, that's a diff the different kind of environments that we want to try to work to. What it is not, it's not going to teach you logic for writing space war games and Donkey Kong and it. We're not going to get into any of that kind of logic. And that's, you're on your own what you actually want to write. Probably start out with people with various skill levels. Some people say, I have no idea how to spell assembler. And other people might've been doing stuff for, for years on uh, maybe another platform of some kind. It might be writing on a DOS platform. So we'll figure out who's, what skill levels we have and where we can work from. Graphic versus text, okay? All the stuff I showed you a while ago was text screen. There's nothing, there's no rockets and spaceship run through there, and I think we'll kind of iron out what we want to do. We're going to start at the bottom, okay? The very hello world, and we're going to work our way up to something. I don't know what that something will be as long as we can stay together, I guess. Uh, in, what the instruction set, basically, once you get started, you just give them a try. There's a Hundreds of instructions, give them a try. To get into a programming environment, test environment, try them. That's the best way to learn. Reading, reading a book, watching somebody else program, downloading their code, you're not going to learn anything. You've got to get in there and get your hands dirty and experiment with things. Ask questions. I'll be more than happy to answer questions. 
possible subject bits, and them, orum, XR, logical shift, right, A accumulator. Maybe people want to know how to do that kind of stuff. Strings, we'll write, I write code. We got, I already got a lot of this. And I talked about having these DLLs. I already got a whole segment out there on memory page. I don't know, maybe 17. I don't recall which ones. Got all the different string things. The two upper, two lower, string happy, string guy. You know, I can just call them any time from there. Cocoa 3, if you're going to do that, maybe we'll get to the MM regs. We're switching these pages in and out. You tell me what you want, and we'll get a consensus. We'll, we'll work on it. Helpful resources. Back to Coco Live, watch the assembly that Steve put out there. There's like 12 segments. Look at them. They're very, very good. Go to YouTube, look up Long Branch Never. Got a good uh, how to set your environment up. And also, uh, example of uh, his, his example of Hello World. Get a look at it. Best I can tell you is try it and ask questions. There we go. Excellent. Excellent. That's well, it for me. Unless okay. you get on with your hardware guy, I mean, unless anybody has a question or a comment or a, or thank you or get the hell out of here. Your well, th <laughs> th thank you for volunteering to do this because I think we're, it's long overdue. And I, fuzzy. Yeah, and I like the idea of getting your hands dirty, right, and doing the actual coding, right, instead of just talking about it or watching it, do it, right? And they say you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, right? So we're gonna break. Yeah. A, we're gonna break a whole bunch of eggs here. Uh, oh, Dad, well, I didn't. We're, we're. I'm gonna be done. I forgot to show them all the pop-up menu stuff that we had too. Though. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll say that we don't want to give. We don't want to give it all away. We definitely. Yeah, this is just the teaser. We we've given more than a teaser right now. So in yep. com coming soon to Coco Talks near you, George J. Will be giving us all kinds of hands-on assembly tutorials, so we're looking forward to that. And it's just tying in with a lot of things, like John Lowry is doing some stuff. We got guys on Facebook doing stuff, and a lot of people are kind of working on their own, but to be able to work on things together, kind of like what we're doing with Game On. Matter of fact, we might we might want to call this Code On, right? Like we're doing the Game On weekly uh, thing that we're working together. We're going to do a, a weekly assembling together, right? Game uh, Code On, Assemble On, something like that, uh, where we get more people involved and get more hands-on and, and involved and sharing. So that'll be fun. Um, thank you, George, and we look forward to more of that on the show. And it'll be a Discord channel where you can get code samples and you can ask George questions, etc. So on. So and that's active right now. So any of you catching this as a podcast later, not catching it live, feel free to, you know, ask some questions of George or maybe give him some suggestions of, you know, subjects to cover that you, you're interested in yourself and uh, put them up there yeah. for him to know. With all the assembly language I've been doing lately, I'll definitely be following along. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, every, every resource is, uh, is like gold. So absolutely. Uh, definitely. Thanks for stepping up and, and offering to help out. Yeah. One more thing, I want to uh, thank Curtis for having them screen uh, them programs that I thought was been long, long lost in big bucket years ago. <laughs> thank you for having that stuff. Yeah, no problem. I, like I said, we used PAC quite a bit back in the 87, 88, 89 range. It was competing with AR by Carl Kreider, but uh, AR didn't at the time compress binary files. So if you were you know packing programs with instructions and stuff there, they would be much bigger using his. And back then with 300 baud, 1200 baud modems, that was a pain. So I used PAC quite a bit up until like OS9 ARC and LHA and some others came out a few years later. So thanks thanks for making it. And I will, uh, Curtis, I will ship that uh, the source code for PAC to you. You can put that in your archive. Yep, yep. Thanks. 
All right, that's it for me. I got to run here soon. I got to. All right, George. Thanks here. for jumping on, and thanks for giving us that little teaser. And hopefully, already the, the 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 live chat is buzzing. So there's a lot of people who are excited about this and looking forward to this. So thanks for doing that. That's where I'm going right there. All right. Woo. There you go. That, Ooh, that's that. a, that's Jeez, a, you must have programmed a lot <laughs> in the old days. That's almost like Nick's collection. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a few more that have been in the garage, too. So that's where I'm headed for a car show. Right? That's, a, that's some there. great uh, retro tech right there. <laughs> Does it have a Hemi? Does it have a Hemi? <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Take, Take care. care George. Thanks, George. See you, George. Take care, George. Thanks. All right, so that is special guest number one. Steve, before you get on to special guest number two here, can you unvaseline your camera? Can I un? I yeah, can't. It looks terrible. I, there's nothing I can do about that. It's freaking. It's logic craps. Um, you know I, what? The fuzzier he looks, the better he looks. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> yeah. Have you tried unplugging it, plugging it back in again? I tried switching it on and off again. Yeah. I don't know why my camera is fuzzy right now or blurry, but nobody needs to see me anyway. So that's really. It's probably a good. <laughs> it's a good filter, right? <laughs> Uh, don't blur the background. Blur the foreground is what I need. Um, it's, <laughs> Dragon Bite says that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on with that. Who cares? All <laughs> right. Stevie filter is on. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. All right. So how about we do this? We, we do have a special guest, uh, and he is a little bit short on time, too. So we have, we have a lot of show to cover today. Uh, the fun is just beginning. So I'm going to spotlight for us now um, Frank... And then let me uh, let me just get that out of the way. Nobody needs to see that very close. Jesus. <laughs> so we have Frank from RetroRewind.ca here with us. He's been in the live chat. We were excited and already feature creeping last week, just daydreaming about what you might be able to do for us. So tell us all about your past, your present, your future, what's your zodiac sign, all that good stuff. Um. 40-something-year-old male, Scorpio. I like long walks on the beach and uh, <laughs> retro retro computers. Uh, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, the name's Frank. Uh, I run a uh, small online retro computer um, parts seller, uh, RetroRewind.ca. Uh, we primarily focus on uh, Commodore equipment. I don't know if I should duck right now, but... Um, it's been like a personal passion of mine for a very long time. Uh, the pandemic and working from home has kind of allowed me to uh, take that personal passion to the next level. Uh, and uh, we've been riding a roller coaster ever since. Um, I was talking to uh, my good buddy, L. Curtis Boyle, about kind of expanding our offerings uh, into other uh, 8-bit micros. And uh, first computer I ever owned was a Coco 2. Uh, which I still have up on my wall. Um, so I figured, why not? Uh, you know, the community's been great. Uh, and uh, if we can do anything to help kind of keep the uh, the community happy and alive, uh, we're here to do so. Uh, we work, uh, currently we develop our own stuff, but we also work with other hardware creators. Uh, we have the ability for small production runs in-house. Uh, so there's a lot of people out there um, who come up with a project like it. I mean, it's expensive to get that project kind of um, started and off the ground, especially if you want to do kind of medium to small to medium volumes, uh, you know, in the 100, 200, 300 piece runs. And we can do that in-house. So we also work with other creators uh, and have their products up for sale uh, in addition to creating our own stuff. 
Very cool. I, I know Curtis has mentioned you had you have things like the pick and place, correct, machine, and reflow ovens, and, and yeah, we've and had to, multiple three D printers. Yeah, this some, has been this has taken off like a roller coaster, and we're just trying wow. to hold on to to keep demand uh, going. And, and you said Decoco Two was your first computer. Very first computer as a kid. First computer my dad bought at a Radio Shack at a small little mall in Toronto called Dufferin Mall as a kid. That was the first machine I ever owned, and I still got it. It's up on my wall here. Wow. That's awesome. My first question real quick is, uh, are you Italian? I am not, actually. Huh. I am... Uh, Usually Franks are Italian. Of, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I was born and raised here in Toronto, but I am of... of uh, my parents uh, are of Portuguese heritage. Okay, Frankie. If, if he are was you actually Frankie. Canadian? I am. Are you, in, are you in Canada? I'm in Toronto. Absolutely. Oh, so am I. Okay, I'm in Ottawa. Awesome. Yeah, a Canadian vendor would be amazing. Well, we've already started working, uh, uh, thanks to El Curtis, on the uh, uh, getting the Coco SDC kind of built in-house. Uh, I'm sure some of you, especially the hardware guys probably here, can appreciate trying to find uh, anything, any MCUs, CPLDs, FPGAs is near to impossible right now. Uh, so we're, we're kind of working with our suppliers and using kind of commercial um, chains and streams to see how quickly we can get some stuff in. Uh, hopefully we'll get them kind of mid-June by the looks of it, maybe early July. Are so you looking can... to buy old uh, Cocos? Uh, well, we don't. I mean, for my personal collection, sure. I'm always up for that. But we don't, uh, don't kind of offer resale of uh, physical equipment. We are starting um, in uh, hopefully in June. Uh, we've brought someone on. Uh, some of you might may know him, Jason Warrens, uh, kind of uh, onto the team to work on, uh, you know, recapping old machines, doing some hardware diagnostics. I know that there is uh, demand in the community, especially in the Cocoa community, to upgrade the process. 6309 upgrade. Yeah, 6309 yes. upgrade. So uh, <laughs> we'll be offering all that. Um, oh, nice. Hopefully, hopefully in, in June. Okay. That's, so huge, news for, that's huge news for Canadians. Because yep. as I don't know if you probably know, it's very expensive to ship stuff down to the states. It is, so, yes, it is. Uh, having a thing in Canada is going to be amazing. And Jason's in Canada too, though he's not in the same city as you. So. No, but it's Canada. Ever... We all know each other, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can just look out the window. <laughs> I just look out and wave at you in Toronto. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. every, everybody in Australia is Nick Marenti's neighbor. So yeah, that's it's right. the same yeah. thing, right? So yeah. um, that's cool. Have you considered uh, doing mylars for keyboards? in the future uh that, that's a possibility i've got a a fairly large wish list i'd like to cross off i also don't uh don't want us to grow uh too quickly where we kind of fail which you know is always a serious consideration i mean at the end of the day it is a business and we want to kind of stay grounded uh it might be a possibility uh i think you know once we get into this hardware repair side of things uh who knows uh what might uh, go from there uh, you know, we'll be working for those of you that are familiar in the MEGA community. We're working with uh, Kipper 2K, who's also here in Canada, uh, to kind of produce his uh, some of his products, including his replacement keyboards uh, for the Amiga. So it, it always is a, a possibility. I've started to take a kind of a deep dive into the Cocoa Bus uh, and understanding exactly how it works. Because I know that first thing I was asked, and I know it was a joke, was, can you do an RTC for the... Uh, for the cocoa, uh, which seems to be like the uh, white whale of this community, uh, and luckily, uh, you know, I know I know Curtis quite well. Uh, it would be something that we'd be uh, glad to work on, especially that'll um, keep his uh, Nitros Nine demos working properly when he yeah, forgets oops. to set the calendar. 
<laughs> Back in the day, um, Disto, uh, that guy um, that made Disto controllers, did uh, a real-time clock, and he was successful with it. He was Canadian, too. He's actually from yeah. uh, Quebec, uh, Tony right. Stefano and his brother. Right. Yeah. Well, well Steve, we're, we're taking over, man. Too many Canadians. One of the, yeah, the question you... is, do we incorporate it into maybe an existing product or a product in high demand? Do we do it kind of as a solo product? Do we do a combination of both? Right. right? So well, I could tell you one thing. Uh, we try to um, get whoever comes on the show who does hardware to put a real-time clock in whatever device he's presenting. <laughs> real-time real clock and a sound chip, yeah. Um, so one of the things you said at the very beginning was you want to try to make the community happy, and that's never going to be possible. So just realize that coming into this. You're never going to... He's in the Amiga community. He already knows that. So. Yeah. We are You're, pretty tame computers. Yes, but just like you say, you could you could make the greatest thing in the world. Well, does it have this? Does it have that? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's like, I've come up with the cure for cancer. Oh, yeah, well, does it come in, uh, you know, strawberry flavor? No, screw you. You know what I mean? I just, just did this. So. Just remember, we're not as bad as the Amiga community. Well, that, yeah, I, that's what I was going to mention. If, if you can survive in the Amiga community, you can survive anywhere. We were given third-party proof uh, appraisal that we're not as bad as the Amiga community. Right, 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 right. And, and, and so, um, you know, one of the most utilized products in the Coco right now is the Coco SDC, which is our, you know, disc controller. And I think a lot of people have said, well, why don't we just add this and that and the other to the Coco SDC, make it an all-in-one card. And one of the restrictions of that is the guy who designed it, Darren Atkins, basically saying, this is my design. If, if somebody's going to make it, they need to make it as I designed it. They don't want you adding on to it, right? So correct which as, is what we agreed to so right 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 so there won't be an rtc in it right unfortunately that would be that would that would make the most that would be the sense best place to put it unfortunately. put it and then that's something where jim brain from retro innovations who's basically an american canadian uh i'm an american commodore you know, no, no, produce, I know, him. Produce, I know him. yeah you know jim oh, right yeah. so he's kind of yeah. like you in the u.s right he makes a yeah. lot of stuff for the commodore and, and he does some coco stuff too so he was going to be looking at a kind of an inline uh, SDC extender is what he was calling it that would have a few things on there so you could plug that into the Cocoa, plug the SDC into that and negate the need for the multi-pack, right? So um, something like that would be great, you know, and again, you can start getting into the wish list and the feature creep, but it really boils down to... I don't know what it boils down to. You're going to get a million people saying this is what they'd like to have, but how, what what really makes the most sense as far as a product that will sell? And as you as a business owner, you don't want to make some foofy thing that two people are going to buy, right? So you got well, things have to make sense, right? So, uh, and and are, are you now opening up the floodgate for people to start pouring their wishes on you? Or you just want to, or what's, let me ask you this. What would be the best way for people to submit ideas to you? Would that be through Discord? Well, yeah, I'm on the, I'm on the Cocoa Talk Discord. People are free to, to, you know, at me or, or even DM me if they've got um, ideas or even if they've got projects that they've created that they'd like to see, you know, produced. Um, we can, you know, we're open to anything, to be honest okay. with you. I mean, it's well, like what's your old... username on Discord just so people know. How to oh, NetSurge. N-E-T-S-U-R-G-E. NetSurge. That's it. NetSurge. My old BBS handle from the 80s. Okay. So you're are you also accepting uh, at this point, like if somebody is designing a hardware project but doesn't want to get into the, you know, having to deal with credit card orders and shipping and manufacturing and all that stuff, if they have a project that they would like you to possibly create for them and sell through the store, is it the same way to get a hold of you or is that a Absolutely. channel? Yeah, they, you, Discord, you can use the contact form on our site, retrorewind.ca, uh, cheap plug. Um, and you can use a contact form there as well uh, if, you, uh, if you're not on Discord. 
but uh, yeah, we're. I mean, listen, there's no harm in asking, right? I right, mean, right. Never right, any right. stupid questions, just stupid answers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, since since you are mostly versed in creating Commodore um, contraptions, what is one of the most popular Commodore contraptions out there right now? Uh, so uh, the bulk of our in-house design work is for the 64, uh, and uh, what we started uh, focusing on was diagnostic hardware. Uh, so uh, we carry a lot of diagnostic hardware for the 64 uh, and the C16 plus 4 line and the 128, uh, and those are our best sellers. Okay. Uh, one of the more recent products that's really taken off uh, is our twist on the um, uh, Wi-Fi modem, which is essentially just a... Uh, a haze compatible um, cartridge for the 64 that that uh, uses your Wi-Fi. So for those that want to call BBSs or you know, hell, you can even FTP if you really want to. Um, and on the Amiga side, uh, uh, recently, I mean, we've been overwhelmed with the uh, 3.2 OS release because we are a dealer for uh, Hyperion. Uh, so that's kind of been the best seller we've got right now, to be honest with you. But our internal products. I'd probably say would be our uh, our diagnostic hardware, our uh, modem, and uh, the kernel switcher that we sell, which allows you to swap up to eight kernels for the uh, C64. Mm, we do have one question from the live chat. Uh, sure. Ken, Ken Make It says, is the best thing for a C16 a sledgehammer? <laughs> or is that for or is that for the plus four? <laughs> uh, I'm going to stay neutral and say neither. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, but uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's a very small niche community. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but there are there, there's there are a tightly knit community. What so what is it, your first computer was a Coco two? But what got you into being a Commodore uh, contraption provider? Uh, so shortly, a couple of years after running the Coco 2, I got a C64 and uh, I ran a BBS for a very long time and kind of just migrated from there into the Amiga world uh, and, uh, you know, got older, you know, had a career, kind of put all that to side, uh, always been a, a collector uh, and kind of a fan uh, of the gaming on the C64. And it's it all started as a... Uh, kind of a, to scratch a personal itch. Uh, you know, I need this, I need that. I might as well make it. I might as well design it. Uh, you know, and it turned into very, very small runs and, you know, through various forms saying I have, you know, I made an extra eight, 10 of these. Does anybody want to buy them? Uh, and that kind of just spiraled out of control. And if you build it, they will come. That's yeah. right. That's cool. Uh, now you've I, got some hardware designs you guys are kind of working on. I know uh, we've been talking about it a bit in years. I don't know how much you want to go into that. Yeah, you know, that there's some that are actually for different machines and possibly could be for the Coco as well. I don't know if you want to get into that at all. Or yeah, so um, there's a project out there uh, headed up by a, a Canadian uh, out of Calgary called the Buffy Project, which is uh, aiming to be a uh, Motorola 68000 pin-to-pin compatible replacement. Um, from that uh, has spun uh, what we're referring to as the Buffy Mini, uh, which essentially will be a pin-compatible replacement for the Z80, the 6510, the 6803. Right, you're, ca- uh, you're Canadian. You said Z80. Shouldn't it be yes, Z80? It's, it's JZ. It's always okay. been JZ. It's okay. never been JZ. <laughs> um, Did you mean so 6803? Uh, uh, oh, correct. That's, that's what's in the MC10. MC10, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be a drop-in replacement. Um, 
you know, include its own RAM. There's a whole bunch of kind of things sure. on the wish list. It doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's where it's going to end up. Uh, but once that uh, the 68,000 kind of is out the door, then uh, the next uh, thing on the on the bucket list is the the mini version, which will uh, at least offer. And, you know, yeah, like we're looking at, you know, like one gigahertz speeds. And the reality is you're never going to achieve that with bus limitations and memory limitations and a whole bunch of other things. But uh, and I know that most of these old ICs uh, can still be acquired, but we're going to hit a time you know, sooner than later where you're not going to be able to get replacement chips. Uh, so to have kind of a modern drop-in replacement uh, that you can, you know, whether it's through software or through, you know, physical dip switches, you can accelerate, keep it original, uh, whatever you choose. Because some will say that, you know, you start veering into replacing the processor with something that's FPGA or CPLD powered, then, you know, you're kind of veering away from the original intent, uh, purist. So, we're also working on the ability to kind of, you know, user's choice. You can do whatever you want with it. I know uh, Al Curtis had suggested, well, it'd be great. I mean, especially if you're compiling something, you can kind of just flip the bit and compile something super quickly instead of, you know, waiting around for three, four, five minutes, however long it takes, and then kind of flip the bit back to to run at, uh, at its speed. native speed. Yeah. So. Right, and I think that's where we were starting to divulge last week because we don't understand some of the minutia of the actual circuits and limitations like you're mentioning. So on the one hand, as soon as somebody like me hears more speed, hey, one gigahertz or whatever it is, 100 megahertz, whatever, if, if would you want your cocoa to run that fast? My short answer is going to be, yeah, of course, why not? But then I think Nick Morentes, who understands talking to hardware better, was thinking, well... It's not going to work the way he wants it to, or he doesn't know how it's going to work because we're not the guys making it. You're the guy that's making it. So now that you're here, maybe can you walk us through that? So you you come up with this kind of holy grail sixty eight hundred nine replacement chip, and and it's going to plug right into and and but kind of like the Gimme X by Ed Snyder, which is going to do everything the Gimme can do, but offer us more capability for those who want to use it. You're saying you could make a 6809 that's 100% compatible, pin compatible, but could theoretically or literally can run faster than the one megahertz, right? You can run at whatever. Um, how does that limit, you know, what restrictions realistically does that put on somebody like Nick Morentes who wants to make the fastest version of, um, you know, Popstar Pilot possible? Um this is still pie in the sky stuff, to be okay. perfectly honest okay. with you. Gotcha. And like, gotcha. I mean, it's all, it's kind of theory on paper. Uh, okay. There are limitations. Uh, and the driving force behind this is Renee. It's not uh, me per se, but we are working together. Uh, and it's, uh, I mean, the, the 6510 stuff, I think, is, is pretty firm on where we want to go with that, like the Commodore stuff, because uh, at least that's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, but most of it could be applied across, you know, the Z80 and a whole bunch of other stuff. Limitations, as I start digging into kind of the Coco schematics and, and being a little bit more familiar, you know, might be able to narrow it down to what exactly it can do. Uh, I know that the firm goal will be, you know, 100% compatibility. How much we can push it is a whole other story. Right. Uh, and that, that time will tell. Uh, but at least the floor will be a complete, 100% replacement part, uh, you know, pin compatible to the current standards. Okay. So it's going to be a CPU plus and what that plus is, was to be determined. Oh, it just might have a plus on it. That okay. just might <laughs> like on the silk screen. You will, so you it'll, will, sit, uh, it'll sit in the same socket and it'll be like five inches tall. 
<laughs> uh, no, I, you know what? I think uh, at least if you look at the 68K designs, I think it's only currently like a millimeter and a half taller than a, for at least for the, for the big boy. And I don't see like, I mean, we've developed uh, like in-house PLA replacements for the 64 and, uh, and some of its other custom chips. And in some cases, the PLA replacement we sell actually sits further lower in the socket than the original PLA does itself. So. I think the problem you might have on the Coco 3 is the fact that the six, the, the processor goes through the gimme chip for memory accesses, for everything. So speeding up the CPU may not work on its own because it's the gimme that's holding it back, which is why the gimme X, when Ed did the uh, gimme X, he, well, because it was the gimme X he was working on, he could bend it a bit and has been able to get the six uh, three oh nine to operate at whatever it was three twenty six megahertz yeah yeah so he can increase the speed up to as much as you can within the limitations of the rest of the chips in the Coco but yeah I think whatever speed you try to bang the uh, six eight oh nine to you've got the problem where you've got the gimme chips going to be slowing you down or not going to or, or work the memory through. or the bus well, itself, yeah, yeah. Apart yeah. from all the other parts yeah. which may not be rated, uh, the gimme is the, the the bottleneck for accelerate. Well, has been for a long time, and only with uh, the redesign of the gimme with the, with the gimme X, where you can then change the rules a bit that the gimme is holding on the CPU, that you can actually go beyond that. Now, I could be wrong. I mean, you, I don't know if if you add things like a cache or cache or whatever it's called in the CPU, whether you can get a speed up that way without interfering with the rest of the architecture, I'm not sure. But Yeah, there's some other opportunities there too, like some of the instructions on the 6809 to 609 actually take quite a few cycles to run, and that was part of those clock doubler circuits everybody was doing. Some instructions didn't speed up, some did. Like the hardware multiply takes 11 cycles, and it's a one-byte read. That's all it does. Everything else is internal. If you could cut that down to one cycle internally on a, a sped-up chip, I mean, when you're doing table lookups and stuff like that, if you cut it from 11 cycles down to one, I mean, that's a pretty big speed increase. Yeah, I mean, even like opcode processing internally will be. Yeah, you'll, you'll yeah. see a you'll see a benefit there alone, right? Yeah. Well, that's what essentially the 6309 is doing. When you're in 6309 mode, everything is still the same electrically, which is why it works. But the speed at which it can process a code, an opcode. Is faster. It's a cycle faster. In, yeah, that's right. So if your chip can run it even faster again, that might give you a speed increase without altering all the other electrical characteristics of the uh, of uh, the design. So that way it might work. Yeah, but uh, a lot of the internal a, math stuff that the six eight zero nine does, especially when you're dealing with sixteen bit ads and stuff like that, like the LEA instructions, add D and stuff like that. I mean, there's multiple cycles used just to do that internally. It doesn't touch the memory bus. It doesn't go outside of the chip. So if you yeah. can get those internal ones down to one cycle, I mean, like an LEX 16-bit offset will go five cycles faster, four cycles faster. Hardware yeah. divide on the 6 or 9 could go down by 30 cycles in instruction, literally. Um, it's also a great place to slap a Dallas RTC chip on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Now we're talking. Hey, uh, Mr. Oh, Dave, yeah, Mr. Dave has his hand raised patiently. Mr. Dave. Yes. Okay, uh, suggestion for Frank. Uh, what about internal um, stacks instead of the CPU going outside into the RAM using the, the stacks there for the S and the U, would it uh, 
be a big improvement to have them inside the chip? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know what? Let me get back to you on that. Let, that Curtis uh, might know the answer. Yeah, you have to be careful because, I mean, yeah. like OS9, for example, it passes parameters for every single API call on the stack. So you have to be able to get access to the stack and modify the stack you know, on the fly to do return calls and stuff like that. So as long as it can communicate back to the RAM copies that, you know, because you might store something on stack and then some other routine entirely uh, will try to load, you know, from 15 comma S, you know, like 15 bytes up the stack type thing. So you'd have to be able to kind of pass it back and forth type thing. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to take a bit more of a deep dive into it. It might. <laughs> Yeah, that would be going along with uh, Nick's suggestion of having like a cached RAM. If we had some RAM inside the chip that we could use really fast, right? Because that's yeah, well, there definitely down. will be RAM. Uh, yeah, there yeah, definitely yeah. will be RAM without question. Uh, it's how uh, you know I, I'd work with Curtis. I mean, I'm not a, a programmer. Trust me, you don't want to see any of my code. Um, some people have have accused me of obfuscating it intentionally to hide malware. And I'm like, no, that's just the way I write code. It's terrible. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, there, there might be, you know, dedicated routines that maybe uh, Curtis and, uh, and the other people working on Nitros could actually uh, write to use that uh, cache or internal RAM uh, to kind of speed things up. You know, like having a cheap man's DMA or something where you can just tell the yeah. chip from internal RAM just to blast stuff back and forth and that type of thing. Like a blitter, yeah. Well, let me ask you a really dumb question because we're, we're talking about bottlenecks and having a fast CPU, having to slow down to talk to the motherboard again. What if you put all, especially like in a Cocoa 1 or 2, it only has like a 64K. Could you have all 64K inside the CPU socket and never have to go back out to the bus to talk to RAM? And that way some of those limitations are now gone because it, it, it'd have to be addressable the same way. But if it's all internal, kind of like your modern CPUs have your L1, your L2, your L3 cache. If real RAM was technically cache RAM and it's on chip, that would... You know, I don't it's know stuff how, like graphics RAM though, because the RAM shared for graphics mode, so you have to be able to. Like, VDG still has to be able to talk to that RAM, so there yeah, has to be well, some oh, way okay. to, You can't yeah, without, uh, without you yeah. know actually studying the uh, the way that the uh, Cocoa Bus and everything else works. I thought the the uh, there are other uh, direct chips on the Cocoa that would require access to that RAM, and then you're back to yeah. the same kind of limitations, right? Yeah, as, as Tim Linder saying, then the video chip wouldn't have a free. Yeah, so because I don't yeah. understand. So there's there's so many other moving parts to this where it's easy to say, oh, yeah. yeah, just give us more, 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 but not knowing how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together, that's that's where your work is cut out for you, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, you can have a ton of RAM on it. doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you can yeah. use it, right? right? So do you, have you already oh. regretted your decision to... Uh... <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely They're gonna not. They're going to get idiots like me asking you for all kinds of stuff, right? So, <laughs> As long as the real-time clock's on there, you know, the RAM doesn't yeah. matter. That's, uh, That'll fix no, everything. Yeah. Is, uh, is this an FPGA-based version of a CPU? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. and and it'll have an arm as well to kind of yeah yeah kickstart everything. Yep, computer in a computer. Correct. <laughs> to start things off, you should make a little power light that we can put on our computer. <laughs> we don't have a power light. Well, that I can probably whip up real quick for you. Man, blinky lights. Yeah, that's right. Blinky uh, lights. Every, every product should have blinky lights. Possible toggle switches or dip switches. Um, maybe some sliders or some rotary knobs. You know. 
So that's right. And what about <laughs> mo- more stuff um, to plug in equals better? Yeah. What about modifications to other hardware? Like uh, we've got the this cartridge, a sound and speech um, cartridge, which uh, by design it works on a 0.89 megahertz bus. But if you run it on a Coco 3, which runs at 1.79, whatever, it doesn't work at the high clock rate. So it'll work at the slower Coco 1 and 2 speed, but not on the higher one because of the way Tandy designed it. It's that for backward the, compatibility? Is that why they did that? Well, no. I, I think no, it's they're just lazy. That, oh, it, right, it was right. designed before the Coco 3 came out. so it's, And they uh, didn't bother updating yeah. it. Now, uh, Richard Lorbieski used to run Boysen Tech, did come up with a hardware very easy mod from now, my understanding of it. I'm not a Harvard guy, just like well, Stevie it's is. It's documented, right? Like the fix is yeah. actually documented. And it's well, documented. The, yeah. He was actually fixing it beyond that. He was fixing it so it would automatically sense the bus speed that the Coco was running at. So it would run at 0.895 if you're on a Coco 1, 2. It would run at 1.78 if you're on a Coco 3. And it oh, even nice. run 2.86 if you had to give me X. And we just auto adjust. And, and this way you could, you know, it's a fairly simple mod from what I understand. But are, would you be considering doing stuff where people could ship stuff to you to get upgraded like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not familiar with. Uh, this this cartridge, but w- was this mod to original hardware, or yes. was the whole project recreated? No, it's uh, just a mod to the original hardware. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, we e- would consider that. It's so an official. It, oh, sorry. So I think Richard's initial he did Richard base it off the fix that was already published and then enhanced. Yeah, and then enhanced it to oh, be able to handle so, yeah. the next. So there's speed, definitely yeah. a baseline you could start at, and if you could figure out how Richard enhanced it to auto detect, that'd be cool. But at the very least. There's partial uh, solution is documented. If you get that, I'm sure you'd be able to. And it could be a kit that people could do themselves. I mean, I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) For those who are missing the point here, Nick, people that can't solder anything but our hair. We do offer a lot of our products in both kit and assembled form. So we kind of, we give people the choice because I, listen, personally, uh, myself, I, I enjoy building it, right? So usually if I'm venturing out to buy something, uh, if it's in kit form, I'll totally take it in kit form because part of the journey is actually, you know, putting it all together and seeing <laughs> it to work, right? So, uh, oh. and for me, it just creates this really bad smell. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We have a really obscure reference to the movie Speed right now from Ken. He says, What if the bus has been sabotaged by Dennis Hopper and you have no Keanu around? Right. So, pop quiz, hot shot. What do I, you do? <laughs> I take out the nearest window and jump out. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm it. Gone. See you Shoot later. the hostage. <laughs> right. Shoot the hostage. Right. right. So. <laughs> Frank, then women and children. That's uh, the kind of the order right there. There we go. Oh. You may want to subcontract to my new company called Blue Smoke Inc. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, we we uh, we recently developed a uh, uh, a physical ROM replacement board for the Amiga 1000. For those of you that might not know, the Amiga 1000 didn't actually come with a physical kickstart ROM chip, you had to actually kickstart the entire machine off a of floppy. Uh, Only on the Amiga 1000, though, was it? It was on the Amiga 1000, yeah. yeah. So uh, it does require some hardware modification, and that was our biggest concern in, in getting this product out to market is, you know, do we really want to lay this out and have someone who might not know what they're doing completely destroy a machine that is becoming uh, harder and harder to find? Uh so we do keep things like that in mind. Uh, so the, the kits we do sell are, are pretty 
simple uh, and uh, blue smoke usually doesn't happen. There, there are some protections in it to avoid the blue smoke. Uh, I mean, apart from, you know, people doing something they absolutely shouldn't be doing with it. But we do take that into consideration. And that's why, you know, we're offering kind of the hardware upgrade and repair service as well, where it's like, hey, if you want the mod done, we can do it. Uh, if you want us to sell it to you in kit form, we can do that too. Uh, and if you want us just to sell it to you pre-built and you do the rest, you know, we're, uh, we're open to, uh, to satisfying the community period, full stop. And I know it's hard to satisfy. I know, I know, but we're, we're going to try. Well, it's, it's good to have another, um, player on the field because we do have, uh, we, we don't have a lot of hardware guys out there making stuff. Um, so and, and ones with actual manufacturing capability. I think that's the big thing because most yeah. people just you know do a hack thing themselves in their basement, and then they just ship you know in very small quantities, so they can't really take off. And this is yeah. an opportunity for those people to to do stuff through you, and you have all the equipment to do you know the pick and place stuff like really quick. Well, that's why when we invested in the equipment, it was more to you know satisfy our own internal needs. Like the C sixty four diagnostic kit, I think has something like 194 solder points so sitting around trying to do that by hand is you know near impossible so uh working with the original developer a guy by the name of sven peterson we created a you know a almost purely smd version where it was a lot easier to have the pick and place machine lay everything out slap it in the reflow oven and you know you're done so we've got the capabilities why not offer it right i mean it's there it needs to be utilized it's an investment and uh the more we can use it the more return we get on the investment and at the same time you know give people the ability to to have projects they create come to life as well if you have time sometime go to the zipster zipster zone and take a look at the stuff that he's been doing and it'll give you an idea how diverse some of the things are are in our group he has a lot of stuff that he's come up with and you know includes you know what a multi-pack interface is yep. don't you yeah yep. yeah he's made two yeah. versions of that so well, that's another upgrade you could do the multi-pack interface to work with the coco 3 yeah it just changes out a gal chip or something like that for the most part um some of them are a little different um yeah so you know i'm not just wish listing but more kind of thinking out loud but you know a couple of weeks ago we had a guy on who was working on a new motherboard replacement for the coco 2 which is a kind of a drop-in compatible pcb uh we've had ed snyder design a coco 2 clone which is kind of you know computer replacement because you're so you're thinking along those lines as we all should be that things are going to become less and less available and honestly i stopped watching ebay because i used to have what some people would call a problem um and and i'm (laughs) and i'm lucky that i have most of the things i need but i actually just looked on ebay the other day and my god things are getting really expensive and because i haven't been watching it because i haven't needed to i'm a little um kind of ignorant to what people out there who want to get in the hobby now are. So when somebody wants to get a Coco 2, and I've seen Coco 2s for $100 plus, couple hundred dollars, Coco 3s, $300 and up. So for those who like real hardware, to have some other alternatives and replacements, we're, we're going to get to a time where we're going to need you know, you know, new and not just chips, yeah. but whole mother, yeah, yeah. whole like yeah. like cloned systems. And as long yeah. as as long as those systems are are basically backwards compatible, that's going to be a that's going to be a need. Um, you start you already see that in the Commodore compu- uh, community. There's yeah. replacement motherboards for all five assemblies of the C64. You can get uh, replacement motherboards for the Amiga 2000, 3000, 4500. 
uh, because you're right. There is you're, we're going to get to a time when you know you can't buy these things anymore, uh, or you can't afford them at the very least. Yeah. yeah, or you can't afford them at the very least. So, uh, yeah, that was that's if someone has actually done that, that's great. That is absolutely well, fabulous. Yeah, progress is is happening on those absolutely, things. and 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 kind of what I imagine would probably happen in the near future because Ed Snyder, the Zipster, has made a Coco Two clone. Sing, you know, and he's made the Gimme X. I think the next step is to make a Coco Three clone because that's the only difference, right, between the Coco Two and the Coco Three is the Gimme and and the memory, right? So, I think he's got all the pieces. They're not all in one PCB now, but I think Ed Snyder could probably produce a Coco Three clone. Um, and I think there's going to be a demand for that because of the fact that you could buy an old Coco Three, not know how good it is, what quality it's in, and you're spending three to five hundred dollars on that. If you could buy a new one that you know works for probably that same price, you and know, maybe has a bunch of hands. Yeah, too, but but then you get well, into it's also modern materials. Modern right? materials, I mean, right? So if you're in it for collecting and you want the original hardware and you want it in the case and all those things, which I understand, yes, then you kind of want to buy one of those. But if you just want to have the hardware to to use to run software and develop for, and you can get new hardware, that's going to be compelling. Or let's say you're somebody like in the one percent where you've already got two or three real Coco threes and you've got your collection, but now I want one that I can just monkey around with. So now I want to have this new Coco three plus thing. Um, I think there's probably a need for that. Um, I, I think with us, anybody who's going to make a new Coco three or God dare I say, don't even never use the word Coco four. That's a that's a bad word in our community. <laughs> but if you were going to make something like that, uh, it needs to be compatible because there's a lot of things that already exist now that are FPGA that are co- kind of Coco three and a halfs, but they're not fully compatible. And and um, so. There's a lot of people who would say, I'd love to buy a Cocoa something, a Cocoa clone, but I don't want to put it together. So it needs to just be shipped to me and I can plug it in and turn it on. So it's got to be user friendly and it needs to be compatible with the cartridges and all the ports. And you need to have all your DIN connectors. All those things should be there. And then if it can do more for those who want to do more with it, that's great. But it needs to do everything it used to be able to do. That's kind of my thinking on what the expectations would be from our community. Like you couldn't make something that's kind of compatible but you know it's got a lot of great things that you can write for that are better but it's not fully compatible i don't think that would be a product that would do well you know so th- 30 years from now we'll be at a, a, a group like this of course i won't because i'll be dead but <laughs> you, uh, the group will be looking at each other going what uh billy bob has brought a an original coco 3 that works you know and everybody else is going to have the uh the fifth and sixth generation knockouts from in the future, you know, and say, open it up. Come on, let's see what's in it. Yeah, it's like bringing out a PDP-11 or something yeah. uh, in today's day and age. The problem with that is uh, is the legality of it. Like, I'm not a lawyer. I don't even they, play like one on the TV. Like the or whatever, right? Yeah, well, it's also like, who holds the IP for this, right? I mean, like, someone out there probably still holds the IP for this. Uh, and it's one thing when the hobby community itself is developing this, you know, trying to sell a pre-made uh and i know in the 64 world because you know the ip's all over the place between who owns the uh ip to the roms versus who owns ip to the name and the board design and everything else uh selling a pre-made system uh that has been reverse engineered uh and uses you know modern replacement parts where it can uh there's a little bit of a legal peril there ah i gotcha Uh, right right okay so selling the, same the boards, problem the emulators hit too, where you can't include right. the ROM with 
Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, it, <laughs> we go back to we were joking about the Amiga community. Like, no one's more divided than the Amiga community over this, right? Uh, so, like, you don't see actual resellers selling the replacement uh, motherboards. But, I mean, they're open source. You can, you know, order them from PCBWay or, you know, insert PCB manufacturer here if you want. Uh, do it yourself and, you know, not really too worried about someone coming after you in that regard. But when you're actually putting it up on a site of a legitimate business, there's a bit of a bit of a concern there. Right, right. Now you're assuming all the liability. So. Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. Correct. Oh, Doesn't mean well, we won't help with it, though. Yeah. Won't they get sorted out in time, pretty much? Not necessarily. Not with lawyers involved, I doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. It's only been yeah. 40 years, so uh, if it hasn't been sorted out yet, chances well, are. Like, yeah. Amiga and copyright get- law is currently, what, 95 years or something like that? So that's how long you'd have to wait for it to completely become public domain legal. Yeah, and it also varies, like, f- from country to country as well, right? I mean, the litigation around the Amiga stuff's been going on forever, uh, and it probably will continue to go on forever. Yeah. It's even possible that retro computing would decrease in the future and not be as uh, advantageous money-wise right for people so they might just drop it well this since you're somewhat new to the coco like what would your what wouldn't what would looking at our machine and being a guy who makes hardware what what do you say man this is something i really want to know how to make so if you wanted to make something you say just to scratch your own itch like you did when you got started in commodore stuff what itch do you feel you need to scratch for the cocoa right now forget what all of us idiots want you to make for us what would you want to make for you you know what uh and it, it might be a cop-out answer but i really have taken to this real-time clock thing perfectly honest with you. And, and it's not Whoa, so much pandering your checks well, no, in the mail i think it's more of a i mean listen that you can you know there's numerous manufacturers you know dallas being one of them where you can get a chip that does all the heavy lifting right uh it's interfacing it with the cocoa itself whether i think uh, L. Curtis Boyle and myself were talking about this the other day. Uh, so the heavy lifting is already done for you. It's actually just getting, which, you know, really isn't that hard when you come to think of it. The problem is, like I said, do you do it as a standalone thing? Do you like, how do you satisfy as many people as you can in this regard? Uh, and I'm kind of leaning to a standalone thing, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay, you create something that's standalone. People don't have to, you know, let's say we did add it to the, coco sdc with with permission um you know a lot of people probably already have the coco sdc right right do they I, really I, want I it in an instant <laughs> right yeah. yeah i know you probably would i get it right uh, but uh you know and then that adds to the cost of manufacturing that where a standalone thing might be a lot cheaper to produce right, uh, right a lot more reasonable to sell and and i know it's a joke uh, a running joke but one that i think uh probably wouldn't be that hard to achieve to be perfectly honest with you uh and uh and probably a lot of people would want and would well, buy, what do right? other computers use for a real-time clock or isn't oh. there even a need for one in these other computers uh not in any of the 64 8-bit stuff that i know uh but then again there really isn't a what's wrong with us? os for it like i mean no one really uses geos let's what's be wrong with us <laughs> The Amigas do, and then kind of the big box Amigas have got one, and kind of the cheaper, some of the wedge stuff, like the 500 and the 600 and 1200 don't, but there is a clock port built in, uh, so it's easy enough to to create um, an actual 
clock for it because there's a standard in a bus directly for the clock. Um, so it's never really been a, a concern. But now I'm thinking about the 64, maybe even as just a novelty thing, creating something for the 64. Um, but 64 <laughs> isn't really used like the Coco in that regard. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a... It's well, a, have them tune into our show. Yeah. You'll, you'll see a demand. Oh, no, absolutely. But, I mean, most of the uh, Commodore kind of community is is games-based solely, right? I mean, yeah. there is no... No one's still working on Geos like you guys are working on Nitros, right? That just doesn't happen. Uh, so, that is a so Have you got an idea? Like, you're, you're mentioning making it standalone. Would this be something that you would have, like, like we were talking earlier about the extender-type thing that Jim Brain was talking about, where you yep. plug this in and then plug anything else into it? Correct. And not requiring yeah, like a, a multi-pack, because that's one thing that would be... a Correct. Well, I mean, it would just be a carrier that would inject the calls for the time, really. That's all it really needs to be, right? And then uh, working with someone like yourself, just getting those calls put into Nitros to, you know, read the clock and set Yeah, just clock. do the clock driver. For That's it. all we, it really is. We've got multiple ones for different clocks back in the past. Yeah, if it, could be compatible, if it could be compatible with a, a pre-made product from the past, then you don't even have to worry about writing a driver for it, right? You yeah, just, we just plop it in. Yeah. Yeah. You might even be able to get away with the cartridge since now multi-packs are available through Ed. Yeah, but um, I don't know how many people want to pay for a multi-pack just for, to get for a real one thing. Clock. Yeah. Oh, but the multi-packs, like I bought a two-slot uh, multi-pack from uh, Ed. It was well under $100, so that's not too bad. What about, yeah, I've the, heard of one. There's nothing that, to say that we can't use the same concept on the cart itself. What about one that would fit underneath the um, underneath the ROM chip? I've heard some real-time clocks. Well, that's kind the other thing I was thinking of, the, uh, is yeah. it would be a piggyback system kind of like uh, we do with the kernel switcher for the 64, right? Just a piggyback system that sits between the socket and the ROM itself. Right? See, there you Easy hit the enough. problem, though. There's no socketed ROMs in the Coco 3. Mm, well, that's why no you can solid. send your Cocoa to us, and we'll add the socket for you. Nah, so it's not, it's not a, I, there's not a single perfect solution, unfortunately. No, no, no there isn't, yet. but I, I think we can probably find one that'll cover be close enough. They're not socketed yet. They just <laughs> need to put the internal drive well, wire in there, and then it will be socketed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and well, so, if you're doing a, a CPU upgrade, you can have a have it as a CPU upgrade board as well as a clock a real on time the one clock. upgrade. Yeah. Because yep. you're going to have to put a socket in for the CPU anyway. That's so. right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Boom. Are you thinking about um, having some of these other guys that make uh, hardware um, as a source for you to be able to have it available from a one source place? Like, you know, yeah. Zips or some make you some... Um, like a reseller, you mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, like he would make you gold... Uh, multi-packs or something or something you know unique to just you no but even reselling current products like we yeah. you know we've uh, we've got space on the virtual shelves for lack of a better <laughs> term so it's not like people are fighting for physical shelf space and if people got projects that they uh, have created and they want uh, a, a reseller to you know handle the shipping and hell we can even do some of the manufacturing in-house tell, tell them what you made are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I was just on mute. Um, basically, I made two boards. One of them is uh, goes into the ROM socket, connects to the uh, one of the lines on the uh, cartridge port, and um, it gives you uh, your DOS for uh, drive wire internal to the machine, so you don't have to have a cartridge. Um, it's uh, here. Let me. Uh, and how are you doing on time, Frank? You 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 running out of time? I'm okay right now. No, okay. I'm, I'm good. 
Yeah. Oh, can I, I interject something? I got 15 minutes or so. This is the board for it. Yep. Yeah, unfortunately, because I've been having health issues for about a month or so, I haven't been able to ship much. Um, then I also have the internal drive wirelessly board, which um, goes underneath the PIA, which uh, disconnects the um, RS-232 port on the back and connects it to a uh, ESP-8266-01 board. And that is this. These blackboards are actual re release versions. It's just that I haven't been able to solder them up because of, I've been having health issues for the last few weeks. I've been in and out of the hospital, but they're ready to go. It's just getting the time to solder them up has been a little bit of um, an issue, but hopefully the uh, health issues are, are, are almost resolved and I'll be able to get them done. But that's but basically what I've been working on. So. That's great. First and foremost, uh, you know, I hope, well, you, soon. I hope you get better because yeah. unfortunately can't really fix health issues and EDAs and PCB layout software. I wish we could. Uh, so that's but first and the, foremost. But. Some of the other stuff some of us have done is uh, they they made it so that you can use a mouse with the Coco, a regular mouse instead of uh, PS2 uh, mouse adapter. Like a PS2? Yeah. iron ball in it. <laughs> have you ever yeah. seen that? Oh, yeah. I mean, every Amiga I own has got an iron ball mouse in it. So I still uh, prefer them, to be honest with you. A good weapon. So, <laughs> Frank, as, as, as far as the mouse goes, or not the mouse, um, the real-time clock, because I was trying to interject earlier, but there was a product that was used on some of the Tandy 1000s and other computers, which was the uh, smartwatch. Mm -hmm. And the Coco also used that with an adapter in the floppy controller. And I did... Um, take Jim's 2364 adapter that he's got on his uh, GitHub, and I put the surface mount version of the Dallas 12... 06 or 63? Yeah, it's a yeah. 1216 or 1215, something like that, that is the sh same shadow clock that was used in this smartwatch. And it works um, with the software that was for the smartwatch. And uh, that would be a perfect thing for a 28-pin version to go under the Coco 3's ROM. It would just be the drivers that have to be updated, obviously, for the different ROM address. But Yeah, you can let the software guys figure that out. Uh, yeah, correct. Like I said, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's enough uh, memory on the Coco 3 if I had to write that damn thing. Trust me. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, ways we can attack this. It's trying to find one that, you know, satisfies most would be the best way to put right, it, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity, I think. And, I mean, another thing you can do, too, is, I mean, for some people, shipping from the States to Canada is a little bit more expensive, too. But having something that can locally manufacture and sell to the Canadian market might might be something to, to look at, too. I don't have to deal with customs and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, we try to do uh, as much as possible here. Uh, you know, even there's PCB manufacturers here in Toronto that uh, we've started to use to try to keep everything kind of local and in-house. It also makes, you know, turning stuff around a lot quicker than trying to wait. I mean, there's some stuff that we don't have a choice <laughs> but to wait uh, for coming overseas, but we try to do as much as we can locally as well. Cool. Anyone got any other questions? 
I mean, I can tap dance or sing if you guys want me to. You don't really want to see me do that, but I could. Yeah. We've got David led to that. The only other <laughs> yeah. thing that we didn't mention was, um, you know, we have uh, Gimme X, I think, has VGA out, doesn't it? And then we yeah. have um, adapters that we've made for the um, Coco 2 to be uh, composite. But um, that might be something that um, HDMI from the Coco out. Well, isn't I thought AC was working yeah, on AC's, something like that. Uh, yeah, AC's AC Zone's working on a digital Coco video. Yeah, I've been kind of keeping a, a distant eye on on how he's doing on it. Yeah, and plus, I mean, as you pointed out before, the two there's the licensing oh, cost yeah. of doing a full blown HDMI, which is thousands of dollars. So you can do DVI, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's HDMI is just DVI with audio, right? As long as you don't mm-hmm. add the audio component, but there's other like consulting with various legal minds on uh on how to achieve something like that right yeah Yeah. which might just be as simple as leaving the ability built in socketed for you know some form of dac chip that could just be purchased separately by the end user uh because then you're not actually selling it uh working but selling it in a way that is really easy to have the end user enable if they so choose to Oh, it's you got to be careful because I I just learned recently that there's a the uh, apparently the vampire the guys who created the vampire um, uh, accelerator board for the 64 kind of a, a little bit of a legal bind with the HDMI consortium over this exact same thing. Exactly, HDMI was a legal concept long before it was a video concept. <laughs> yeah, and you were mentioning I think when we did our pre-talk we were kind of just you know double checking the audio and video earlier in the week that it's like five thousand dollars initially to get the first HDMI license plus so many cents per yeah, it depends on how many you produce i think it's if you produce less than ten thousand units in a year then it's five thousand dollars plus x per unit and i think that all depends whether there's protection in it whether you're using their logo and it can vary anywhere from five cents i think up to 15 cents per unit uh and if you're producing more than ten thousand then it's a yearly ten thousand dollar fee uh and uh most people think that you start getting those levels the the additional per unit cost goes down, it actually goes up. Uh, so, right? Yeah, so, it, I mean, it, a lot of people have asked about doing direct HDMI, and you're the first person I knew that actually knew the price. And basically, if you want to get into doing official licensed HDMI, you're looking five grand plus just to get started. That's per year. Now, don't get me wrong. If we were producing 10,000 units a year of anything, I'd be ecstatic and uh, glad <laughs> to pay that licensing fee. But, uh, you know, it, it makes the hobbyist community... You know, it, it really affects everyone, but I think there are ways around it. And I think it would be, you know, sell it in a way where it's DVI only and allow the end user the ability themselves uh-huh. uh, by simply socketing a chip uh, to do the rest, right? Is the HDMI concept uh, the thing to worry about or is it in the um, socket itself? Or like, if you know, if you came up with a socket that was different but had the same wiring in it, is that a different so the rules are if you sell it and it, it does HDMI 1.1 or higher, which includes audio, then you must pay the licensing fee. So, you can, so as long as you sell it and it's only using video or, you know, essentially DVI, to be honest with you, uh, then you're perfectly fine. Uh, <coughs> you know, there are other ways around it. Like, uh, like we sell a bunch of... Uh, RGB to HDMI adapters for the Amiga that use the Pi, the Raspberry Pi, to do the heavy lifting. And because the Pi carries the license already, uh, then you have no problem because you're not actually producing it, you know, 
Yeah, Pi has well, already paid yeah, for that up front themselves. That's right. So. They've paid for it themselves, right? Uh, which is really amazing when you come to think of it. I mean, you buy a Raspberry Pi Zero for five bucks, uh, and you know they're they're trust volume. me, they're producing a lot more than ten thousand a year. Volume, uh, yeah, yeah, it's all volume thing. Yeah. So, uh, but nothing to say you can't produce something that's got the ability to do so. Uh, it doesn't come ready to do so, and the end user could simply, you know, buy a secondary chip that, hell, we could sell separately, and you just kind of plug it in. You know, will their lawyers catch on? Maybe. I don't know. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but. Right. Well, if you wanted to stay safe, you could just go with DVI, and it's pretty easy to pull audio off of a Coco and run it to a jack and just. Yeah, and some people might want to use external speakers anyway, right? I mean, I prefer external speakers than. Or you could still go into the audio in on the TV just come directly just separately through the composite RCA yeah, yeah. yeah I mean there are ways again I'm not a lawyer don't don't take anything I'm saying as legal advice far from it but uh, we have been working with our own uh, uh, attorneys to kind of see how far we can push stuff right we've got a product request another... in, uh, we have a product request in chat someone would like you to build uh, Coco to USB joystick adapters because there are some on the market, but they're either out of stock or won't ship out of the US. So that's, that's a product that, that might be something to... you could link up with Paul Fiscarelli, who has designed that. If he wants to share his design with you to be a you know, Canadian distributor, that yep. would be great because that's already, it's already the, the uh, wheel's been invented there. Yeah, this is what it looked like here. Yeah, and again, like I said at the beginning of the show, we, we rather work. Uh, with people who have already created stuff, right? And kind of just offer the the manufacturing process, the retail process, the shipping, all that stuff. Uh, we do that now. I mean, we work closely with lots of developers, a lot of stuff up on our site that we didn't develop ourselves. And uh, we're simply, you know, right. the, storefront, the storefront for their stuff. Right. And in some, some regards, we manufacture it. In some cases, we don't, uh, right? They manufacture it and we just distribute it. But we're, we're open to whatever, right? I mean, I, people have done the work. I'm more than willing to work closely with them. You might be able to get better shipping rates too if you if you bought somewhat in bulk. Well, yeah, uh, or, or, or just produce them. He sends you the schematics, oh, and you them, just yeah. produce them, right? So you produce it in house, like you're saying you can do. Oh, produce yep. them, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. So, Frank, uh, the name of your place is Retro Rewind. Dot uh, yeah, re Retro Rewind. Dot ca. Okay. Did you guys first come out with the uh, DVD rewinders? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, because I the way the way I see it right now is you know the word retro hobby and, look at the, and the hobby being the emphasis there. The people who are making number one for us using these old machines, it's a hobby to use the old machines, right? Because they're not practical. They're not, not there's nothing you know too good you can do on them other than fun stuff. But the people who are producing stuff for hobby machines are mostly doing it as a hobby too so you yep. have these guys who make things but they're not always able to mass produce them or produce them you know and we're spoiled by amazon i can order something on amazon and have it in two days but i can't necessarily get something from paul fiscarelli in two days or ed snyder in two days because they're making them somewhat on demand and they because they have real jobs and are doing it as a hobby that's there's there's that piece of it where we want the the demand or the supply won't necessarily keep up with the demand and then the other problem we have too is the um 
you know, there's only so many people making them. They can only make them so fast. And what happens if that person, God forbid, either, you know, gets injured or falls out of the hobby or leaves the community or whatever, then they're leaving a void, right? So to have some overlap and some cross-pollination, I think is, is, is vital to this continuing. And there are some people who make their hardware open source. There are some people who don't. Um, but to have these arrangements, and, and there's got to be trust. Like if I was Ed Snyder and I invented the next great widget, I would have huge trust considerations by letting some foreign person, you know, produce my stuff and sell my stuff because how do I know how many he's going to sell versus how many he's going to tell me? I can, so I can imagine there's that. you, know, you got to have that trust there. Um, but the need for having this resiliency and redundancy in manufacturing and distribution, I think, is critical to the survival of the hobby market. And so you being one player in a very small field we have right now, I think, is, is great to have you. And hopefully some of this kind of cross-pollination will take place from our hardware designers and stuff like that. So. Um yeah, and we have we have no problem signing agreements like at all. Uh, we right. can work out directly, and even in the case of open, I mean, we've got open source hardware we sell. Uh, it's clearly listed on some of the products where uh, we we set a percentage of the sale t- to the creator of the project, and that's not even uh, an agreement we have with them. It's just kind of a hey, you know what? You put the hard work into designing this, uh, and if we're going to profit off it, then you know it's only fair that you will actually receive some of that, right? Uh, and that's not agreement based. That's just kind of a principle based from right. my point of view, right. uh, because, you know, it 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 uh, rewards them for their hard work and, and sure. might actually keep them developing and, and creating more. Right. Absolutely. Listen, the last thing this is going to do is make me rich. Uh, but if it keeps me busy, not out of trouble, then then I'm going to keep doing it. Well, you need to make games like Nick Morenti's because it's made him rich. So <laughs> <laughs> I've got three Ferraris sitting under the bed in my shoebox. Uh, do, do you have a source for cheap cassettes? <laughs> no, but what I definitely do have uh, is a source for floppies. That's for sure. Uh, so I worked closely with a, a company here in Toronto that. Uh, makes magnetic media still for um uh the healthcare industry and, and government and uh and produce uh, a whole bunch of brand spanking new floppies that we bought because uh, over the next couple of days we have i think we're up to almost 700 floppies we need to produce for amiga 3.2 and wow four, 400 and something 27c 400 roms that we need to burn so what about these bad boys not the, I, you know what? I can talk to them. I mean, I got I got a small personal uh, supply of them that I use for the 64, but uh, those are a little bit harder to find. A little bit harder to find. But I think if there's enough demand for it, they, they'd actually spin up and make them because they're making they're still making magnetic media uh, as it is, whether it's actual VHS cassettes, tape cassettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll gladly put you in contact with them if you want audio cassettes. Sure. Cool. Well, uh, well, you're on Discord, so people can reach out to you. Um, they can go to your website, as you, you mentioned, to your right, retrorewind.ca, so they can send you an email or fill out a form or whatever. So you're very reachable, which Absolutely. is which is a good thing. And and definitely thank you for being on our show, and thank you for well, thanks for um, having me. Yeah, and thanks for putting your foot in the quagmire that is our community and all of our. <laughs> You know, wishes and wants and desires, and uh, you know, feature feature TV. creep and all that kind of stuff, right? So you better uh, update your uh, front page there with uh, color computer keyboard. Yeah, as yeah. soon as as soon as we actually get some uh, some product there. So far, I've got an RTC that should have IR capabilities. 
uh, and can somehow communicate with uh, Apple Home to turn your lights on and off. Of, there we go. All that correct? Okay. There we go. Alexa, too, right? So. That's right. <laughs> Siri, Siri, turn on my cocoa. Right. So um, cool stuff. Well, thanks for having me. No, oh, no problem. And I really appreciate hang out it. as long as you can, Mister Dave. You're a hardware guy. Anything else for Frank before he has to go, or before we go to break? No, all good. All right. Uh, Let's look forward or to any of the other hardware guys on here, like Bill and, and Rick mm-hmm. Euland. Any, any questions or comments? We all know that hardware is a lot better than software. Come on, guys. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I blame it for all my mistakes all the time. You know, there's so. always a complaint from some of these hardware guys that after you get the hardware, like I think uh, Mr. Brain has mentioned, that there's no people to do software after a while. <laughs> Right. Jim is definitely Jim has been an inspiration. Jim has been very active in the uh, Toronto Pet Users Group for a very, very long time. Right. Uh, so he he definitely was an inspiration. For well, him. hopefully, after our new assembly language series, we're gonna have a lot more people developing for assembly language. Yeah, there you go. There we go. So we're gonna we're gonna be raising a new breed of developers. So, so our two uh, guests actually tie in that way. There we're we go. Teach right. the next generation how to program these drivers for you. That's it. That's it. That's mm. it. All right. Well, all right. Thanks, guys. I'm going to run nice and get back you, to the Amiga stuff. All right. Nice meeting well, thanks for coming to by, chat Frank. with you guys. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, you for easy, being Frank. here. Okay. And what's you. your Discord handle again? NetSurge, N E T S U R G E. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. No problem. And that'll be coming up next on our Who's New to Discord. All right. So we're going to do Who's New to Discord. Who's new to the Coco map? And then I will run a commercial break because I'm not sure if Ron does, but I need to potty. So um, we're going to go ahead and do uh, who's new to a few things. We'll run a commercial break and we'll be back in just a little bit with more Coco talk. Thanks, everybody. It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Who's new to Discord this week? George J. joins us and says, I've been in the computer programming world since 1968, mainly 6809 assembly as a hobby. I wrote an OS9 program called PAC many years ago, along with others. COVID got me back into the Coco and 6809 assembly. Perhaps I could be of help to those wanting to learn assembly. John Con Jonathan says, Hi, my name is Jonathan. I found you all through the Cocopedia page while trying to help a good friend preserve his archived Coco content. My primary goal is content preservation. All options are welcome. NetSurge Frank says, Hi, my name is Frank, and I understand that the first step is to admit that I have an addiction. An addiction to retro computers. I run a small online shop called RetroRewind.ca. We usually cater to the Commodore crowd, as he ducks. And thank you very much to Paul Fiscarelli, Terry Steggy, a.k.a. Data Soup, and our CocoTalk patrons for boosting the Discord server. You can join us on Discord by going to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord. Let's take a look at who's new to the Coco map this week. Please welcome, from Mexico City, Mexico, Fedro Smacky Tacky. All the way from Castleberry, Florida, say hello to Chris Duris. In East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, please welcome Henry Nonick. Hailing from Tromso, Norway, please welcome Tom Eric Gunderson. In Auburn, Indiana, please welcome Brad Hartz. 
And atop a grain elevator in Ellie, Iowa, please give a warm welcome to Steve Rasmussen, a.k.a. Buck Owens. Welcome everyone to the Cocoa Map this week. To see where the rest of your cocoa nuts live around the world, visit the Cocoa Map at map.cocotalk.live. If you'd like to be added to the map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. And now, this message. Hi, this is Curtis Boyle, part of the uh, Cocoa Talk crew of people. Hey everybody, this is Bill Noble, co-author of Nitrous 9. You are listening to Cocoa Talk Live, the leading live Cocoa Talk show. Good day, mates. This is Nick Marionettes, author of such color computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes, and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS9 and its current incarnation, Nitrous 9, is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use. I find OS9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual. And yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS 9, I expect my next game, Funstar, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS 9 forever. Any resemblance to actual events, to persons living or dead, is purely coincidental. Hi, this is Max Jackson, live from Cocoa Fest. And you listen to the real game, Steve Shrove. We're traveling through a dimension both of sound and ideas. We're at a place where the mind can comprehend and devise a solar radio, a wireless transmitter, measure time and light. 65 electronic projects brought to reality with this science fair kit. Astonishing, perhaps, but you can find it for Christmas for $17.95 in a place that's known as Radio Shack. Radios, stereos, recorders, everything in sound. A whole new approach. Faster than ever. A window to a world of possibilities. Clear your expectations. Clear your hesitation. Just hit clear. EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Hi, this is Sean Wheatley, and you're listening to Cocoa Talk with the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're back with one of um, Nick Marotta's 
favorite, favorite parts of the game, of the show. Anyways, and that's where we get into the game on challenge results and who played, who participated, what were the scores. We get to talk about the game. And yes, and so apparently I screwed up on how I spelled some things on the map. And I probably, I'm, I know I screwed up on how I probably pronounced places on the map. And, and also I had a really hard time saying the word Massachusetts because usually when I say it, I don't say that word. I say another word that's not suitable for mixed company because I've got my own pet name for that state. So as I was trying to record the word Massachusetts, my brain kept wanting to say something else. So I had to kind of do multiple takes on that one there. So anyways, John Lowry, are you awake? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm sorry. And Can I get you a pillow or a blanket or anything? You need, no, you I'm You need to rub your feet for you? Are you good? No, okay, good. all right, good. Just checking on you there. All right, so um, we're getting ready to get into the game on results. Now, um, I, I'm not sure if this is going to be a song parody or if it's going to be musical or what, but we do have a brand new Samuel Gimes Coco Thoughts that I believe is game inspired. So Ron Delvo might be in store for a treat. Or he might not. So we're going to go ahead and first check out the latest Coco Thought, which I believe is inspired by this week's game. And then uh, we'll probably come back for some reactions, and then we'll get on to the results. So everybody enjoy this. I haven't seen it or heard it, so let's see what Mr. Gimes has done for us this week. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Pump off the pump man, pump off the pump man, pump off the pump man. <laughs> Uh. Pukas and Drygars. Pop off the pop man. <laughs> Pukas and Drygars. Pop off the pop man. Pukas and Drygars. Pukas and Drygars. Pop off the pop man. Drygars. Got was this Pump the man. snow level? <laughs> oh, this is the game. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk more about that. <laughs> pump up the pump man. Pump up the pump man. Pump up the pump man. Pop, pop. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Samuel Gimes has outdone himself. Drop the rock on the puka. Oh, look Drop at that. Rock on the puka. Look at that. Chain reaction. Drop the rock on the puka. Drop the rock on the puka. Pump up the pump man. Pump up the pump man. Pump up the pump man. Pop. Pop. Oh, man. I wonder where I wonder where Samuel got the screenplay switch from. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. If that was, if that was Samuel playing, it looks like he's pretty good. That was, that was really good on that whole uh, chain reaction of all the rock falling, hitting everybody. That's kind of hard to line them up like that. But for those who don't know, that was Pump Up the Volume, right? What was the band who did Pump Up the Volume? Was that Mars? Was that the Mars. name of it? Mars, right? So Pump and Up the that Volume. video was better than their NASA video. <laughs> <laughs> so um, good job, Sam. Samuel Gimes, both in the parodying and the video matching, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, uh, Ron Delvo's eating a sandwich. So, did, uh, by the way, did Sarah get you that? Did Jason's girlfriend get you that sandwich? Because that's her job. It's getting sandwiches. All right. Well, we, we, we haven't done the results yet, Nick, so I'm not sure what you're sharing oh, yet. Oh, what am I yeah. doing? I don't yeah. know what you're doing. I don't Let's know do the result. Let's yeah. do the result. Yeah, this was the post-Samuel Gimes discussion. Yeah. yeah. So can, yeah. You, can you stop sharing for just a second? Okay. I'm sorry. 
You're excited. That's what it is. You're, I, I, I want my me time now. You are Nick. Nick. <laughs> Nick Morota is excited here. He's having a hard time. Stop. I'm kidnapping the show. All right. So um, we are now going to look at the results from this week's game and see how we did. All right. Welcome to the results for this week's Game on Challenge. The game was Pump Man, and there were 18 participants, and the scores were as follows. Margo, 2,710. Alan Murphy, 3,070. David Craker, 4,580. Louie, 8,060. Nick Murata, Nick Murata, Nick Murata, 8,780. Rick Yu, 8,930. L. Curtis Boyle, 9,390. 8 Bits in the Basement, 9,690. Tasman, 12,420. Marcy, 17,230. Karen, 21,130. Mr. Dave, 6309, 26,230. Jim Rye, 36,870. Tom C, 37,830. Cat Lord, 37,900. Canadian Retro Things, 43,070. Coco Discord User, 53,730. And the number one player this week was Buck Owens with 63,760 points. Congratulations, Buck Owens, and thank you to everyone who participated this week. Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. And that's interesting how the uh, how the Pump Man game inspired. So uh, Samuel Gimes came up with uh, uh, Pump Up the Volume, and I came up with Pump Up the Jam, right? So that was a little background music there. So uh, there you go. There were the results as compiled by Nick Murata, as certified by Price Cooper's Waterhouse. The numbers have been tallied. They are official. The envelope has been opened. I do opened. like this too, Stevie. You actually had a clip in there of people resuscitating viewers of the show. <laughs> as <laughs> All right, Nick Morota, now you may share now your I screen. Yes, Nick Morota. Sorry about that. My brain froze. We're talking about the game, slow game, ah, slow gameplay, and it got me thinking to the discussion. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, we had 18 scores, so I thought that was a pretty good turnout. And uh, thank you, Stevie, for doing that video. I thought that was a, that was really good. I love the uh, all the interpretations of the word pump. Really <laughs> I'm glad and, he uh, skipped a few other ones. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say some of them were already borderline a little uh, suggestive. That's okay. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. So um, I'm gonna show you the rainbow review, and I think I think the review was. Uh, I really liked the way he ended the review. He said it was a fun game, and it's evident that Dave dies, the author had a great sense of, ta of talent. As it is, it's a very good game, but a few more weeks of work could have made the game outstanding. And I'm gonna agree with that. So um, here's gameplay from Canadian Retro Things. Uh, please check out his channel for retro content, including Coco and Non-Coco. And uh, we'll have that playing while we talk about the game. So uh, I like, I mean, I don't always pick games that, you know, I pick games, that I take suggestions. And, but most of the games that we've played I actually do like, and this is one of them. But it could have been, it could have been made a lot better. Um, for example, you can see here, 
the slow vertical crawl, yeah, which was annoying. And it could be fixed by doing the high-speed poke, but then the whole game speeds up. Um, I also found it was pretty inaccurate when it came to a couple other things, like the Pookies and Frygars were very aggressive in tunneling through the dirt. They didn't hang around in their areas. Whereas if you play Dig Dug, they kind of go back and forth and hang out in, the, in, the, in their areas a little bit before they start pursuing you. And another big change, difference was you can stand under a rock on Dig Dug and right. the rock will stay up. Until you move. Here, here, as soon as you go under it, it starts shaking. You got to get out of there pretty fast. So I, those were those were pretty annoying uh, differences. And and uh, I, I oh, really feel and a game, guy behind a guy there, you couldn't even tell. I really feel the game could have been uh, a lot better than it ended up being. And I don't know if uh, you know he ran out of time or if it was uh, you know good enough. But uh, I mean, be- graphically, it's beautiful. Yes, it looks a lot like uh, like Doug Dig Dug. So I, I, aesthetically, it's great. The gameplay elements are there, but I really feel like he could have done. Uh, see now, you see, yeah. See, Fragar was walking back and forth a bit there and spitting his fire, and that's what they do in the arcade mm-hmm. uh, before they start digging. But I, I really feel like he missed the mark on the uh, on the um, authenticity of gameplay. Well, do you think he was probably a teenager when he made this, Curtis? Oh, he was. He was and, in high school. And this was probably one of his first entries into assembly in the whole nine yards. But one of his first two. Yeah. And and what, what you're bringing up, um, Nick, is something that I've always wondered when I've looked at games like Donkey King and especially like Galagon that seem like they captured everything, even the attract screens. Like they've captured all these things. And I always ask myself, like, how did those guys do it? Back in the day, because nowadays we can just dump the ROM from an emulator or whatever, and we can see the code and see how it was done. But back then, and and we have Nick Morenti's here who did a Pac-Man game, right? So, you know, how did you recreate the the game and the algorithms and all these things so well? There were certain Coco games that did it really well, and I think the answer is probably they just had to like watch people play the game forever and ever and ever, and kind of like burn it into their brain and then go back and recreate that because. How else can you get all those nuances of a game when these games were still new and we had no way to look under the hood of the ROMs to see how they were made, you know? Any comments, Nick? Oh, uh, which Nick? You. Uh, you. 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 Oh, me, yeah. Oh, you're right about that, Steve. Yeah, I know with Pac-Man, that was before I had all access to the internet and having all the files on the net. So, yeah, you had to basically go into the arcade and watch people play and burn it into your head and go home and quickly uh, draw them up or code it up or whatever. So, yeah, it was a bit tough back back then. Nowadays, it's a lot easier, of course. Everything's on the internet, so... I believe but, Steve uh, Bjork said that with Arkanoid as well. Like, he didn't... Even yeah, though Arkanoid was an official port, he didn't get any... Uh, he had to go to the arcade and watch the game being played and take massive notes and yeah. just recreate what he saw. Yeah. Right, yeah, so are definitely a bit easier nowadays. Right, so it's possible that Dave just didn't have enough homework uh, in his head on what some of those finer points were in the game, and so he just did it based on his memory, the best he could do. It could have been just based on the best of his ability, being a teenager and probably going to school, or it could have also been where the publisher said, "Look, we need we like kind of like a, back in the days of Atari, we want to have this and and whatever." four weeks and so give us the best you can do in four weeks 
You know, are so, you shaming me? No, 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 no. I'm just saying. Are you there's, there's, my critique? No, no, no. I mean, your your critique is on point, but I'm just we're trying to come up with some kidding. some valid reasons why we're that might up, have been. We're trying to come up with the why. Yeah, I'm the kidding. why. Yeah, yeah. Well, this he, wasn't a valid port either, right? I mean, it wasn't. It's a, a clone. Art. It's a clone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and Dave, I think has done a good job in going to the arcades and trying to watch the original game. I think he's done that part quite well. This was his first or second commercial game, so. Uh, like me, you know, you, 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 when you do your first program, you, you don't have all the great techniques or you haven't learned all the great techniques and things yet. So this is pretty good for a, a number one or two. Right. You know, the other game he did true. at this time was uh, Fighter Pilot, which is kind of a it's, – it's kind of like this, actually. It's, it's a clone of 1942 but missing some of the elements. Mm, it, it's okay. like a basic clone of it, and he did both of those in 1984, and he formed ICOM in 1985, which is when he brought out like Marvel Madness and Karate and all that kind of stuff, Knockout. So this, these are his very first two efforts, and I think he was probably 15 or 16 with real these. Yeah. Well, okay, he did a good job. So he did a 15. pretty good job, really, <laughs> yeah. for, for the time, yeah. But Curtis, did you suggest that the slowdown vertically, he did that on purpose? Well, it, it kind of it's kind of like he has to because he could have very easily just had to you know move two pixels at a time. It's not that yeah. difficult. So because the horizontal movement's okay, right? But the, right. Vertical, the vertical is painful, and it's also you not know. animated either when he goes out. Like his feet animate, yeah, yeah, it just kind of slides down. So, <laughs> yeah. and the funny thing it, is, is moving vertically graphically is easier because you're just offsetting it by you know 31 bytes or whatever. Where you're doing a horizontal, you have to do bit shifting and stuff. So it's actually easier and to well, move. Well, he's probably not. He's probably ah. moving an entire byte, which is two pixels. Ah, okay. Well, four four pixels vertical. in this case, but he's got two different oh. versions of the players. But yeah. he's got the up feet, the down feet thing. So he's probably got like two pixel movements, and he's got the one cell frame with his left foot down the next one is the right foot down so he's actually literally doing bite like you said nick he's just alternating between two you know, on the half bites yeah so i forgot to, i neglected to mention last week this was actually a request by marcy she wanted a dig dug type game okay we don't have, we don't have many dig dug club options this is no the only the other one i've ever seen was published in color computer news in 1982 i think it was called digar pumper and it was a basic game, which, I mean, for basic, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't as close as this is, obviously, and lower res. Yeah, and at this point here, all the bad guys come out, like you're saying, Nick, they come out right away. They don't, like, chill yeah, out in their boxes right away. So, yeah. So, you, you saw, so Canadian Retro Things is showing no gameplay strategy here. Is you lure them, you lure them around you. So, you make, a way, you make your way to one of the edges, and then you follow along the edge of the screen and get everybody to, to follow you and then crush them with a rock. So, that's what the people who got a good score did. Right, because uh, that, that chain reaction that one of them got like eight thousand points because he like squished them all in one fell swoop, you know. So, but if you're looking, Marcy, if you're looking for a good dig dug type game, uh, Mister uh, Mister Dig, which is actually Mister Do, which has some very similar gameplay elements to Dig Dug, is a really good choice. We did that game already in the Game on Challenge, so that's why. Yeah, and Boulder Dash is a little bit like this too. I yeah. can see the Boulder Dash got ideas Boulder from this Dash. too. And we have a couple clones of that. We have Stone Raiders too. We have uh, Bouncing Boulders. Color so there's a few options there as well. Yeah. Bouncing boulders, that's right, because uh, the uh, Ken pointed out that they don't actually bounce. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> we, do, we do have uh, – sorry, uh, Samuel Gimes did. So we do have some uh, better alternatives for Dig Dug type game. Uh, this is – but for Dig Dug itself, we don't this have – This is it. Uh, chain reaction. Here comes the chain reaction. Pew, pew, so pew, there you pew, go, pew. Nick. If you're looking to do an, an arcade game for Coco 3, <laughs> Dig Dug would be awesome. Hmm. Dig star. Dig star. Fun <laughs> <laughs> Dig. 
Uh, yeah, Cuthbert goes digging isn't been dead for the, uh, for the dragon, is it? Is there really? <laughs> there is a Cuthbert goes digging, but it's uh, not Okay. And Cuthbert's done just about everything. <laughs> He's a jack of all trades, that boy. Yeah. Cuthbert goes for a, uh, an exam. Yeah. Yeah. Cuthbert turns tricks. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, so interestingly, my... you were talking about earlier, we were talking about how you know, they didn't have access to the inner inner workings of the game. Um, I was watching an interview with the guys who worked for Atari who were doing the, the like, home versions of, you know, Asteroids or, or various other Atari games. And they even they didn't have access to the, 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 the arcade unit was separate from the home unit. And they never interacted with one another. They never shared data or anything. At all with, with so a lot of uh, wheel reinventing had to take place there, huh? Yeah, it was basically they watched the game and would recreate it. CRT yeah, that's kind of surprising that the same company would do yeah, that. Yeah, Well, interestingly enough, like, Lu- what are you paying for for the license fee? Then you might as well just do it. Right. You're just paying um, for the the name, and that's it. Literally, you're not getting any access to assets. That's right. kind of stupid. Yeah. You know, and I, I had worked with the guys who worked for ILM and Lucas Arts and stuff like that, and it was a similar. Well, not quite that they didn't share information, but back when Lucas Arts made software and they made all the Star Wars games in house, they had to license all of the assets, like sound effects and sound bites. They had to license them from ILM. So even in the same company, they were selling stuff to their other <laughs> divisions. So at least they were monetizing on those resources. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, this weird. This uh, CRT's doing well. Yeah, CRT's doing good, but yeah. Frag, I got him. So, any tips and tricks and stuff? I I know I sucked at this game in the arcade, and I sucked at it on the Coco even worse. But uh, every time I see this game, it reminds me of when I was in college. We had an arcade, and they had a a Dig Dug there. Yeah, there was this one guy that used to play it all the time, and he used to get mad when he would get killed, and he would he would hammer the machine with his Uh. uh, the joystick with his with his so of his hand, he would whack the the joystick, and he he ru- ruined the game. Wow. I was trying to play it one day, and the, one of the directions didn't work, and it was because of that idiot that was always banging. <laughs> up. So is this well known, or I found out because I can't do the rock thing. I get I died trying to get it set up. So I found I could use the pump to freeze somebody you and slow run right down. through them. Yeah. Well, and run right through them. It's like they didn't exist. You hit them mm. once with the pump, and then you run past them. Well, or, I don't know if that was that way in the air. Yeah, it was. It, it absolutely yeah. was. Yeah, you could. They could be semi-inflated, and then they just kind of slow down for a minute. And they just wait, and you run right through them. Or if they're coming at you from both sides, yeah, you hit right. one once, and it stops. And you can hit the other one three times before the first one starts. Right. You, yeah, you kind of pause one, and then pump up another one that's behind him or something. Yeah. Getting with the rocks would have been a lot easier if the rocks stayed above you. like. In yeah, the and if your yeah. vertical movement was a little bit faster, too. A little um, peppier. Yeah. yeah, and what I loved about the arcade version of this was just the music. You know, It kind of sounded like a banjo soundtrack as you're walking, so it only, the, it only played the notes to the rhythm of your walking. So like you hear it, you know, but as you're walking stuff. So I love the background music to this game in the arcade. Um, obviously having more color palettes in the arcade, the longer you play, the more the colors change. Now he did a pretty good job here and kind of mixing it up between the reds and the blues and the dithering patterns and stuff. But in, in the arcade, um, you got the deeper you got, the darker the colors got, you know, and you're getting like more subterranean looking and stuff. So, um, but yeah, yeah. graphically it's beautiful. Oh yeah. No, it, it really really captured the essence of the game as, as Dave Dice has done with just about everything he's done. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, 
So thank you, CRT. Uh, he was pretty good at this game, much better than I was. So uh, are we ready to talk about next week's game? The suspense is killing me. So this, this is, is a special a, one that Nick can talk about. Too. This is another one of our tie-ins with the Amigos Retro Gaming Show. Uh, they had re- they, their re- most recent episode of the Coco Show talks about this game, correct, Curtis? Yeah, they just released it earlier this week, so uh, the game's already up there. But uh, yeah, we're going to be doing our crossover episode with them. So this is... Oh, Springster. <laughs> I put them in the wrong order. Can you tell what this game is? No. <laughs> <laughs> this was supposed to come up. Anyway, Springster, which uh, Curtis describes as a mix between Marble Madness and... And Cubert. Cubert. Yeah. So you're going to want to read the instructions for this one because... The okay, I'm not playing then. Yeah, different enemies. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to be playing on level two. Not ooh, one, but two. Ooh. So one is a good... Because of the higher levels, you get access to more screens ah. so level one is really designed as a tutorial learn how to play the game level so yeah so you can play that one to get familiar with the game but the scores will be based on skill level two okay. i'll put a note to that effect in the game on challenge but this is your uh i'm mentioning it here as well so hopefully people will pick up on that i will um, mention the review that that boat and aaron did actually does and then frodo did this because he did this in one of his streams too when he did the first year of coco three games because this is actually one of the ones from the first year Tandy, that the manual has all these complicated things like you're carrying this and hit this color square, this special effect happens if you hit the joystick button and all this kind of stuff. But you really don't have to do most of that to play the game. You can actually get quite far with just remembering a few basic things. And that's the same thing I did. I didn't memorize all the different combinations of things because it's literally several pages of stuff. Well, there's one enemy you can run into, right? So it's good to know that one. Yeah, well, basically, I just memorized like what squares open up the next plane and what there's a previous square you have to hit first and you have to get certain treasures. Basically, just get all the treasures. And there's a couple square you got to remember the certain colors to get onto the next plane. And that's really the ones you need for the basic play. If you want to memorize, if you pick up uh, the ring and you, you're on a green square and you press the button, it'll freeze certain monsters and, and others <laughs> will get confused and lose you like that. That part. Is a bit out there. Maybe if you play the game a lot, you'll be able to memorize all that stuff. I never have in the 30 some odd years this game has been out. But you don't need all of that to play the game and enjoy it. That's what Frodo said, too. Um, unfortunately, he's not on the on the call or, or on the uh, chat right now. But he did the exact same thing. Like he said, once you kind of got the hang of the basics, the couple of things you absolutely have to know to get to the next plane, then that's all you need to do to enjoy the game. And you can actually get pretty far with that. So yeah, I just want to get, is- you know, people don't don't worry about trying to memorize the whole manual. The goal is to open up the portal to the next level, and it's it's one of the squares, but it's hidden. It's a purple. I think it's purple. A purple square that materializes when you uh, when you go ready for the next plane. Certain yeah. goal. Yeah. So that's basically the goal is to get to get through all the planes. And on skill level two, there are sixteen planes you can go through. Yeah, level one has eight. I think for, that's your beginning level, like you were saying, for kind of a tutorial to figure out how things work. And then level three, if you ever got really advanced, has thirty-two different planes, and they're all unique. So I mean, there's a lot of replayability on this game once you do get kind of used to it uh just to mention too the system requirements it's a coco 3 128k and a joystick uh that's all you need uh, if you have the cartridge i think if you have the uh the disc version you might need more than 120 i can't remember for sure if it would run with less than or with 128k on the disc version but i mean there's many ways to get the cartridge emulators and flash roms and stuff too so it looks like it's digital joystick friendly so yeah i think so yeah, you guys have to tell me. I don't have a digital joystick in mind, so I can't even tell you if it is or not. <laughs> and I'm assuming the playing field arrangements change on the different levels, so the stacking yes. of stuff is gets different. 
Yeah. It kind of yeah, has a only, little bit of a... You can only pop up and down, like, uh, the, the smallest increments you can see the height of them. Yeah. You can't do a double jump. You can't jump off at all when you have to go down, you know, the gradual uh, weight. It kind of reminds me a little bit, too, of, like, Crystal Castles. Um, the kind yeah. of the yeah. uh, geometric arrangement of that. So, yeah. Looks neat. Yeah, I remember when they were talking about this a while ago. I was intrigued because I had never seen this before. So this looks kind of neat. I'm trying to get something fired up to play that this week. Yeah, I'll cover it a bit more when we when we cover the game on news here because it's actually one of the stories is the Amigos review of it. And I'll mention a few other things there. Far All right. Out. So uh, thank you guys for your participation. Thank you, Stevie, for doing the video and letting me do the segment. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see you guys next week with the results from Springster. Far out. And Curtis, you want to just carry us into game on news? Yeah, there's not very much this week, so it'll be quick. Feel free to share your screen whenever you feel ready. Looks like yep, Bri- make sure I share sound, because I always forget that. All right. Utopia. So, that's a sneak preview. You're not going to see that yet. We're going to go straight to here. <laughs> <laughs> so episode 20, as we mentioned, the crossover episode with the uh, Coco Show with Boat and Aaron is Springster. <clears throat> and uh, they've actually got these little chapter markers now, so Ridiculous Banter is a huge part of it as they go through various things. And then they go into Springster itself. Um, so basically, they mentioned the same things that we've been mentioning, that the game, if you read the manual, can be quite complicated if you choose to me- try to memorize every single combination of everything, but you don't have to. Um, they ended up really liking the game. As, as both said, it is a very unique game. There's This is not a clone of anything. There is no other version of this on any other platform, so it's a completely unique Coco 3 game. Which which is nice to have because we've got a few of those. That's nice having something that each platform has that's completely unique. I mean, you have the timer and stuff on the left. And you can see he's collecting some of the things there on the right, like the or on the left, the rings and stuff there. You got zappers, which I've never really used when I play. Um, it has a lot of replay playability, as I mentioned before. But when you get to you know level three, then you've got thirty two different unique you know layouts that you get to play through. So, but they they ended up reviewing the game and they actually quite like it. And here for Steve, there's a few other different levels you can kind of see some layouts as you're going through. Is the background always gray, though? Yes. Um, okay. I can't remember if it gets changing on the higher, higher levels or not. I haven't really gotten that far okay. myself. But there's there's quite a few different yeah. play fields to, to keep the... Oh, yeah. And they got some like pyramids going on there and all kinds of stuff, yeah. Yeah. And they got weird names for them all, too. Like, there's the, the Spud Man, which is actually looks like a Mr. Potato Head that wanders around and... One that boat called a, a giant sock, which actually I think is a boot or something. Like okay. that. <laughs> what is this all a boot? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> a, you forgot A. It's all a boot, eh? Yeah, so it's it's a very unique game. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, you won't find this on any other platform anywhere. There's no arcade version of this. There's no. Ooh, so this is a platform that. exclusive. Yes, it is. Wow, that's that's what all the modern kids talk about now. Well, I gotta. PS5 exclusive, right? So, uh, uh, cool. Coco exclusive. Yep. So, hey, that, that episode of the Coco shows out. If you want to review this, it'll kind of give you some of the mechanics and some of the playability and stuff on it. Uh, if you want to view this before you actually try it yourself, it'll give you a pretty good background on it and a bit of an explanation of it, too. A bit longer than we gave here. And, uh, yeah, please join in the, in the Coco Game Challenge this week because it's a, it's a pretty unique game and it's uh, obviously unique to the Coco 3 itself, so... Very cool. Next up, uh, Jim Brain. This was kind of a unique one. So he, he converted a text adventure game. Jim Gary. What did I say? Jim Brain. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I meant Jim Gary. Sorry. Yes, and Jim Brain does a lot of MC10 work, too. I had a Jim Brain fart there. 
<laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Oh, and I smelled it too. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, this is a text adventure game that is uh, written by a Czechoslovakia programmer in 1980. I, I'll try to pronounce it Miroslav Fidler or Fidler or something. Um, but it's labeled as anti-Soviet. That's how Jim himself, and it's kind of got all these, you know, mock things of, of the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union, of course, was still around back then. Or the USSR, anyway. Um, so it's 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 a kind of a historical one in that way, because it was done as a protest against the, so- the USSR at the time. Um, you know, mm. Hail to the Golden February and stuff like that. So I'll just, you know, play a little bit of it here. And the music he's able to produce on that MC-10 with that six-bit data is just amazing. Freedom for the exploited, you know, the socialism, the way of tomorrow, and all this. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's constant. Hell, the golden February. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's a, it's a unique game. It's a bit historical. I, I think from what I heard, the guy actually got in some trouble for writing this because, of course, they were pretty strict with don't do this kind of stuff. Mm. And the sarcasm that's in it, too. So and In Mother Russia, we do not make fun of Mother Russia. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, a unique historical, you know, from the Eastern block type game type thing. So that's not something you see too often on any of the Cocos, actually. So, right. You know, a bit of history. The renowned it. party of London, right? So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so pretty cool. Next up, uh, Cuthbert Dragon did a couple, and these are two games that I don't recall us covering before. I think he's then. Yeah, so the first one is Dickie's Den. This is kind of along the lines of the Manic Miner Jet Set Willie style of game, which is, you know, pixel-perfect jumps and, and, you know, trying to gather treasures as you go across screens, etc. Um, also, that really bad attempt at doing background music. That, you know, oh, that's like falling feet, huh? Oh, this is the guy with the uh, the glare from his window. I'm like, what's that yeah. white line in the game? Oh, it's not in the game. Okay. Yeah, so, that's yeah. his window blind. So. <laughs> this is not lava lamp guy. This is window <laughs> reflection guy. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, you know, the very unique game design, Those, that, uh, that, this aesthetic that came out, there was a ton of them, like Matt yeah. Miner and, yeah. and Jetson Willie, et cetera, which were all these, you know, you got to jump perfectly at the exact right time. and Yep. Very, very kind of AGD, specky type. Um, yeah. Now this one is more AGD style because the the character movements are definitely bite based, whereas yeah. you know Jetson Willie and Manic Miner actually have the smooth jumps. So this feels a bit more jerky, but I mean it's it's not a bad attempt, and there's a ton of different levels. But it, this is one of those games that if you're the modern gamer where you're used to everything being handed to you in a silver platter, you're gonna hate this game because it's too hard. All right. You know those feet reminded me of a cross between like either Monty Python or uh, I was thinking like Yellow Submarine, the big blue meanies or whatever with the giant stomping feet coming down. So yeah. And that's the other thing. These games, for some reason, had really weird shapes as your antagonist. I don't know why. That was just a, an aesthetic they had in the in the mid '80s, and that was it was in the UK and a little bit of Europe. But this type of game was really popular. It never really got popular here. That style. I think they were big into the herbal tea emphasis on the herbal. So, uh, <laughs> is that freaking Sasquatch? With, yeah, is that like Sasquatch that. with a spike sword or something? Who is that Could guy? Could be. Or, <laughs> Let's go back. <laughs> Looks like an abominable snowman carrying a spear or something. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Yeah, and here you got, I don't know, those razor blades, and yeah. I don't know what the heck the other things are. And awesome music, yeah. I mean, really. Axes. Oh, and oh those are like uh, yeah, pliers, or like I was thinking of the clamp on like the. Uh, Jumper cables or something, yeah. Is that uh, that's either an axe or it's a toothbrush? Could be promoting dental hygiene. Yeah, this is the <laughs> dentist round. We're brushing our teeth and we're pulling out the bad ones. So yeah, um, 
you do see a little bit of the PAL artifacting in this too every now and then. Yeah, just a little bit. But yeah, teapots and yeah. You know, saucers, cups. Short and stout. Uh, it seems like the, the, uh, the, the levels are huge as far as, you know, it's going down, you know, deep yeah. through many screens and stuff. Yeah, I mean, these games that did have it in common, they had a ton of levels. So, I mean, you had a lot of repellability. And you had to learn the levels. I mean, if you had to learn right. where to jump to get to this thing, you had to come from the other Yeah, some of the, the there might be side. a blind jump to get somewhere that you wouldn't know until you did it. Yeah. And, of course, you have to figure out the timings. Like, you have to go certain orders to do things to get it correctly. So, it's, it's definitely a game where you had to learn as you went. And it was very hard to get through them all. People like Frodo, we played this a lot, these type of games a lot on the Spectrum back in the day. He can still get through Manic Minor, you know, all 22 levels of E. You know, d- does a couple tries at it type thing because he still has that muscle memory back from the '80s from doing it. But if you're, like I said, if you're a modern gamer and you're used to like you know save states and all that kind of stuff, you're 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 not going to do too well. Wee. But it's, it's pretty cool. And then the last one is the other one he did here. This is one I've not seen before either. It seems to be, as far as I can tell, it's kind of a bit like Xevious, but not quite. And this is one I've not seen the download for it. If I can get it, this is one I think would really like a 639 optimization so if anybody listening to this has a copy of this send me a copy of the binary and stuff and i'll see if i can optimize it on my next round of optimization i like the fonts it's almost like cursive writing yeah a little bit of music in the beginning or two mm, utopia oh yeah this could definitely use some optimizations yeah handwritten and he, fuel and then later on for some reason the sound kicks in when he's firing which he didn't originally on the. I'm not sure exactly what's. Yeah, even though it's only using like a third of the screen, it's still kind of choppy on the vertical. Yeah, I mean, this is one, if it, there's enough room in the code, I think it could probably just use a stack blast and even the 609 yeah. version could be sped up. Because it looks like he's just doing like load A story, maybe not even a load D story D type thing. I like the, uh, the graphics on it are nice, though. Yeah, I did and the weird well part is, is the so. scrolling seems slow, but the movement of the bad guys is pretty quick. So it's just, yeah, it's almost tile based. It's jumping a butt at a time, like oh, okay, the yeah. Move, so, but yeah, this one could definitely use some optimization. So if anybody out there listening to this has a copy of this, because I, I did a quick look, I couldn't find it. I'll uh, I'll see if I'm patching that one in my next round. That's it for the game on stuff. It was. Well, it's one this week. Far out, far out. Well, I guess they knew we were having all these interviews, so we didn't want to tie up the show to them. All right, so we wanted to just keep the news train rolling, and we'll go. Mo- we'll just move right into news news. Uh, we can do that, yes. Okay, so get ready to share your screen. I will go ahead and do the quick news intro with our little Muppet thing going on here. So you can go ahead and start sharing. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on... And now a Muppet News Flash. First up here, uh, Tim Linder put up this really cool video because he actually showed some features of the MAME Debugger I didn't know about, and I use the MAME Debugger a fair bit, but I've kind of like, I learned enough that I needed for what I was doing, and I kind of stopped. So in this one case here, he actually goes through live while playing Arkanoid in the MAME Debugger and kind of goes through to figure out how to figure out how the program works and how to cheat at it and stuff because he's got these cheat things in there. So I'll play a little bit. I won't play the whole five-minute video, but I'll play a little bit so you can kind of get a gist of what he's, what he's going for here. And let me know if one's okay. Today, let's experiment with the cheat system in the MAME debugger. We will use the system to find in memory where the ball's position is stored when playing Arkanoid. But first, we'll need to have an idea of what we're looking for. 
We'll assume the ball's location is stored in two discrete 8-bit memory locations, one for the y-axis and one for the x. I'm going to assume that when the ball is toward the bottom of the screen, a large number will be stored, and when the ball is close to the top, a smaller number will be stored. First, we start the game and pause it by pressing the backtick key before the ball leaves the VOS. Then we initialize the cheat system and tell it we are looking for unsigned bytes and will target the first half of RAM. Cheat init unsigned bytes starting at address 0 and going for the first half. Now we'll unpause the emulation and let the ball rise up a few lines. Now we ask the cheat system to scan the memory it is monitoring and look for values that are now smaller than when it started. Cheat, next, decrease. it found 67 possible locations. Now let's run again and let the ball move a little bit more. Now we'll ask the cheat system again to look for values that are smaller still. Cheat next, DE, DE for decrease. And it found 19 further matches. Now let's run a little bit longer and let the ball bounce off the bricks. go a little bit longer. Now let's ask the cheat system to find a value that has now increased since the last time we checked. Cheat, next, increase. Now we have a list of 10 addresses. From the, starting from the 32,000, now we have 10. Let's see what it's found. These are the 10 here. I'll cut to the chase and say that address 134 is the one we're at, we're looking for. But you can see how quickly this system found the correct address. It happened to be the third one in the list. Now that we know it, what can we do? Well, we can set that memory location to be anything we want. B exclamation point 134 equals 30. That sets the memory to 30. You just put it up there. <laughs> you, just, you just moved it up to the top. We can see that the ball was moved up to the top of the screen. 
So remember you were talking about last week on um, on the shooting gallery to figure out how many bullets you have left or whatever. That would be another thing, too, is to look at that value, right? Yeah. Like, I didn't know it had this check for in, a, a memory location that's increasing or decreasing. It actually keeps track of them. So you can say, well, which ones have switched now from decreasing to increasing? And it narrows it down to the ones that have done both. And you, since you can monitor on the screen, you know, like the ball position or whatever else. This actually narrows it down a lot. I always did more manual trying to guess where things were. So this is actually a much of a big speed up. Now, since I've played almost all of it, I might as well let it finish. It's only a minute Might left, as well. So. Yeah. You know, and by the way, the person who did this was Tenacious T. Right, so you guys, yeah, yeah. T. we're trying, we're trying to get that name trending for Tim. So, Tim Lindner, <laughs> aka Tenacious T. Jim Rye just asked, "Is this Buck Owens' secret?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we're getting into Billy Mitchell territory. If you're if you're submitting scores that were done in Mame, we can't right. accept them because you could have debugged your score or something, right? So <laughs> that's it. Game on segments, cast. <laughs> Due to rampant cheating. Another interesting thing we can do is use an action in a breakpoint. Let's set a breakpoint at the interrupt service routine that's called on, on the start of every video frame. That's F6, FC for this program. And we're going to run a command where we set that memory location to be 30 and then go so it doesn't actually stop and now we go so on so he's basically he's frame locked the ball into that vertical position yeah he keeps resetting the vertical position every visa yeah because every you sit there and and farm the freaking little spinning uh that's that's like the Gryffindor sorting hat there from Harry Potter, right? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. whatever cool. the hell those like, things. I, are. I didn't know the main debugger had all this this stuff in it. I've I've gone through fair bits of it, you know, you know, tracking interrupts and V-syncs and H-syncs and stuff like that, and monitoring memory locations and checking, you know, this memory location got written to, etc. But I didn't know it had all this, you know, stuff for actually figuring out things on its own that would narrow down, you know, yeah. trying to hunt down certain codes. Mr. That's Dave cool. is raising his hand. We're not used to people being polite on this show. They usually <laughs> just barge in at any given time. But yes, yeah. Mr. Dave, go ahead. Yeah, this is a, a similar system they had on the Game Genie and those kind of devices for the Game Boy and uh, Sega and stuff. And I used to use that back in the day for my son when he had the Pokemon. Ah, you, know, you could kind of okay, hack it. Yeah, what went up? Was it your life? Was it your power? You keep checking. Did something go down? Did something go up? Like timers oh. or, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get his Pokemon, like the, the water Pokemon could shoot fire and all that stuff. Like you could hack the game like crazy. <laughs> Just by watching what changed. Yeah. You know? You check, you check a state of what's happening in the game now and then you like get a new item and then you check the state and you'll see that a certain memory slot has something new then you could hack away put all kinds of hex codes in there until you got whatever you wanted yeah yeah it's amazing like, and, and and honestly the fact that you know we're using modern technology to, to do this there were people in my computer club back in the day who knew how to hack all the games because we were getting copies like I remember having a copy of, of Daggerath 
where um, you could populate your inventory with whatever you wanted. So somebody had figured out where all that stuff was. And I wrote a little program where I could basically fill in my inventory before I started the game and launch my game. Um, so people were able to figure this stuff out before these visual debuggers. Or maybe they'd use Zedbug off of uh, Edtasm or something. I'm not sure what they did, honestly, to, to see it. But um, it's it's impressive that we know how to do this. But when you have like something exterior kind of microscopically looking in, it's almost like cheating. And at some point in time, people were able to do this with their bare hands, you know, back, you know, back when I was a yeah. kid, I remember that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's impressive on all levels, though. Yeah, and I mean, Dragon Bite says, well, that's beyond debugging. That's full-on statistical analysis. Very cool. And that, that's correct. Like I said, I've done this debugging on the manual, so I've had to figure out from watching the code and figure out what the code's doing, you know, where it's storing the vertical height of the ball or number of men left or whatever. But I've never, you know, fiddled around with, the, you know, this, you know, look for increases in memory. Now look for decreases right. at the same location. So where are the, but, so there's, there's, there's a syntax to talk to the debugger, and hopefully that's documented somewhere because he's using... It probably is, but, the, I mean, the, the manual for the full debug of, of MAME is quite large, so I only picked yeah. the parts I needed right, right at the moment, and I never really pursued it, and maybe I should have because this would have made some other things right. a lot easier. And that's why we call him Tenacious T. Yeah. Right, so that's, I mean, that's, that, that's that is really cool. super cool. Yeah, that's so super cool. And Hope also, George Jansen knows about it. And also, asking Steve Bjork firsthand, which he had done too, saying, "Like Steve, what did you do? Why is this different on the Coco Two versus the Coco Three? He's like, "Well, the Coco Two didn't use FIRQ, and I'm just using, I'm just blasting the DAC, and you know, doing you know a millisecond sound. But on the Coco Three, I'm doing samples that use FIRQ. So, so Steve Bjork was able to give him a little bit of insight to why Mame wasn't emulating certain things right, um, but he still has to have the tenacity to, to recognize the problem and to look into it and to try to fix MAME, you know, so it's, it's insane. Yep. That's really, really cool. So I might have to pursue that a little bit further and <clears throat> learn some of these extra things I didn't even know. Simon hey. Jonathan. <clears throat> yes, who's been a bit busy with his, uh, what does he call it? The uh, um, Wobble. Wobble, yes, that's correct. So we did a couple of uh, screenshots and stuff here, uh, mixing colors in the Semigraphics 24 mode, uh, need, using page flipping, which is the old-fashioned way of doing it, and then wobbling, which is using some of the VDG SAM timing tricks we've been showing recently with smooth scrolling, etc. Now these are still screenshots, so it's it's kind of you know tough to tell, you know there's a bit of flicker, etc. from it, but you can see like not doing the wobble gives you these kind of like just you know horizontal lines of different yeah. colors, but when you do the wobble thing, it kind of smooths it out, and now it looks like you get a ton of extra colors. Now, has anybody actually tried these programs on actual hardware? I think, Ron DeVoe, didn't you have a copy of these you were dealing with? Or is Ron still here? Um, yeah, I, I, I ran it on an emulator. Yeah, I don't have... Yeah, I, Simon asked me if I could test something, but I don't have any real Cocos hooked up, so yeah. Um, yeah, I got a bunch of them. Yeah. So, did, did this flicker much, or was it pretty pretty solid? It, it, it flickers a very little bit. A bit uh, yeah. yeah. It's almost like what Sockmaster's doing at the high color, right? To get the, the get, to get more yeah. colors yeah. on screen for his image viewer. Um, but this is a low-res, high-color thing. But just yeah, looking at... Under OS 9 does that, too, where it page flips. But this yeah. wobble techniques, I'm, I'm guessing, probably smooths it out a bit more so than the raw page flipping does. So, correct me if I'm wrong if you guys have actually tried it. I have some pictures uh, I'll show later of um, Brittany. Oh, Brittany Spears. Using that. This is now, are you just taking screenshots, Ron, or do you have actually yeah, running on no. real hardware to see? What, like, I would like to see what it looks like on a real 
Well, screen. I think he's taking like photographs of the screen though, like from on the CRT. So he's getting a yeah. picture uh, of it yeah. on the hardware. But you won't see the flicker. Like I'm wondering yeah, how bad is the flicker on the wobble mode. The trouble of photographing it is just a it's flipping back and forth, so you're you're not you're I not mean, seeing you know, that flicker. Yeah. Yeah, you're not seeing the flicker. You're just catching the state at and that one moment. of the two frames. Huh? Okay. But yeah, it actually looks it's actually incredible when you consider it's a text screen. He's using semi-graphics mode 24 and getting the extra colors you through the wobble mode. It looks like amazing for considering it's a text screen. Is there any Doctor Whoism involved here like wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff or um <laughs> So, John, since you've actually ran it yourself there, how, how does the flickering compare between the wobble mode versus just the page flip mode? Like, is it better or is it about the same? Or um, I mean, it kind of flickers a bit. It's a noticeable flicker. Um, I noticed w- if we step back from it a, a good, a fair bit, like maybe two, two and a half meters or so away from the screen, the, the flicker appears to be less. Because when you're right up on it, you can see the flicker really well. But when you get back uh, a ways, the flicker kind of isn't as prominent. And um, uh, you know, overall, it's it's an amazing thing. Like I said, it's amazing for a text screen. Mm-hmm. Erica, and here's the one that Ron on was mentioning. Yeah. yeah, this is the one Ron was mentioning, which is a, a this is a flicker. I don't think this is a wobbly one, if I remember. Um, it's like we're we're seeing out. colors that technically don't exist of those nine colors. Like these these don't look like any of the nine cocoa colors I've ever seen. I'm seeing like brown and tan and all kinds of stuff in here. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a few programs. The projector has a version of this. Uh, View GIF under OS nine will will draw two different, totally different sets of sixteen color screens and flicker between them to do you know GIFs with two hundred fifty six colors, etc. High color by sock even goes beyond that because it does it by scan line. Um, but yeah, there's some pretty amazing effects you can do with that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like the old, uh, you know, the machines that had interlace, you know, that only did 30 frames per second. They draw like, you know, the odd lines and the even lines like the MM1 did. If you're running in the 640 by 480 mode, is it, David Ladd, if you're still on here? I think that's the resident. But it, it did something similar in hardware. And there was an interlace circuit that Alan DeCock and a few others actually did some demos for where we actually got a 640 by 400 resolution on the Coco up to 450. Hmm. Using an interlace mode that you could you and he had a bouncing lines demo that ran at the super high res. It does flicker though. That's the one thing. So, I guess if you have epilepsy, it's probably not the greatest. Nah. Right. But yeah, some pretty pretty cool stuff. Next up, and this is one that I think somebody else had brought up earlier in the show here: the salt chip replacement board. Pepper board. Yep. You know the original salt chip. Now it's Peppa. Salt and Peppa, baby. Peppa. Okay. So this is uh, Pedro, who's our guest. Was it last week? Uh, yeah, a couple uh, weeks ago with the Blueboard, Coco Blueboard. Two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. So I'll play a little bit of the start of the video, but definitely you want to go check this out. It's uh, you know, a fully working replacement, which he's actually done some burn-in tests on and run it for a few days and stuff here, and it seems to be working fine. So, And the salt is one of the chips you cannot get a replacement for these days if it blows. So this is a replacement for it. Here's a test of my salt replacement board. Here's the salt chip from my Coco 2 board. And this is a clone. Okay. And uh, I think it's a little bigger than the, the original. Board. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, because that's salt and you know whatever. So the idea is that it will plug in to the socket where the salt chip goes. All right. And so this is even using his replacement Coco Two board. Oh, is that the blue board? Yeah. Yep. 
Okay. Yeah, and it doesn't get in the way of the memory or anything else over there. This is not in the picture anymore. We are no longer using this. I just haven't removed it from the board yet, but it does not work. It is not connected. So should power up. Boom. And it did. Okay. And I'll write a small program. Hey, I won't go through the details, but he tested he tested with some games. He tested, you know, just writing basic programs and it seems to be running just fine. And he mentioned that he What does the salt do again? I don't remember. You hardware guys can better explain this than me. Proves the so, uh, flavor. It regulates the, the voltage. Uh, it has something to do with RS-232 communication as well. Yeah, all, all the level translate, all of the analog stuff is in the salt chip. In fact, that big transistor he said isn't used anymore, the salt chip switched that. That wasn't a regulator. That was just a pass transistor, and the salt chip decided if it was on or off to make 5 volts. But now that he's got his own way to make 5 volts, he doesn't need that. Hmm. And Neil, you were about to say something, too? Oh, yeah. It's just a TTL level shifting for RS-232 mainly. And it also uh, supplies 8 volts into the uh, Q2 transistor, which goes to the RF modulator. It's okay, also so actually the, does some of the video stuff, too, then. Okay. It's also the zero-crossing detector for the cassette circuit. Hmm. And just well, so it's actually tied into thing. a fair bit of hardware, then. Yeah, any analog thing they needed, they showed it in the salt chip. Okay. I wonder if he can load in uh, tapes good. Does he, does he say? Uh, probably not. I don't know if he yeah, tapes the can do tapes, yeah. That's cool, though. And uh, Terry Trapp had been working on one, too. He was calling Mr. Dash yeah. or something like that. Um, so. That's good. You know what? Two weeks ago when he was on, he was, like, just considering making this. I mean, he literally whipped it together in yeah. a matter of, like, a week or two. Yeah. Now, is this chip used on all three models of the Coco, or is it only certain ones? I think it's all of them, or, or at least the one in two. Does Coco 3 not, use not the salt chip? One. The 3 does have it. It does, three but does it's have not it, socketed. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's not socketed on the 3? No. No, no, no. Okay, so I guess that one you have to... Well, there, there, Mr. Retro Rewind can uh, install that for you. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's soldering. <laughs> That's, that's good we're getting a replacement for this because it is this, this is a hard chip to get a hold of. I know I think Mark Overholzer, I think you and, and, and I think you supplied Bill with his, but you were having yep. running out of them or something too, weren't you? Yeah, yeah I only got from Tim Yeah, Lear. I got two of them from Mark and one of them went into your Coco three, Curtis. <laughs> so yes, how did thanks, they thanks decode again. how did they decode the in, inner workings of it? Did they have to there There's a, the service manual has a breakdown of it, basically. Does it? I think this color basic thing is interesting. This one has, has no reference to Microsoft at all. I used to say, you know, basic by Microsoft, licensed to Tandy or something like that. Now this one is just says the extended. Tandy. The extended color basic has the Microsoft uh, copyright, but yeah. not the color basic. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Does that mean since Tandy went defunct and stuff here that uh, that might be legal to do the just plain color basic room? I wonder. Hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, it's still Microsoft. The, the, the basic. Yeah, if you do CLS9, it still shows up. It's still in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a really cool project. And I mean, for people who need replacements, now we have an alternative. And and if there's enough, you know, Coco 3s that are dead because the salt chip's bad, maybe that's a good thing for Mr. or for Retro Rewind, Frank, at Retro Rewind or somebody else to start manufacturing them in, in you know, a bit of quantity for people so they can actually fix Coco 3s that otherwise would be useless. Since cool. I didn't realize how much of the hardware was dependent on it, I didn't know that you know 
it had to do with RF and cassette and, and RS-232 and everything analog ran through this, huh? <clears throat> yeah, because I mean, this I mean, if, w- apparently without a salt chip, you wouldn't be able to get a display because that's the RF. You wouldn't be able to run cassette, which I mean, that probably is not a big deal for most people. But you couldn't run drive wire through the Bitmanger, for example, because that's the RS-232. It's analog, yeah. Would the Cocoa boot up without a salt chip, or would it not even boot if the salt chip went bad? Um, it wouldn't boot because it controls power. Yeah. It controls oh, the five volt power regulation and everything. Yeah. Okay, so so yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's a showstopper. Died, my Cocoa Three did not boot. <laughs> okay, so yeah. it's a showstopper. This is a deal maker, deal breaker, not having that salt chip. And I think one of the questions was: Is it Daddy Burrito saying is this something that would wear out over time, the salt chip, or is it? Apparently, it does because my mm-hmm. my my second Cocoa Three that Bill fixed it was running fine, and then literally the next day it wasn't. And it was off in between. I just turned it on and then it was dead. So hmm. I don't know what caused it. There was no power spikes or anything. It wasn't even turned on between it when it worked chip. and when it didn't. It was yep. a salt chip that went south? Yeah. Yeah, Bill did some yeah. you know, debugging to figure out what was wrong. And then he, when he replaced the salt chip, it would suddenly started working again. So. Cool stuff. I know, Bill, Bill, from your experience, what, what does cause a salt chip? Is just, you know, it just wears out. And it just, it just wears out. Like, uh, I do know, like I did notice when I was troubleshooting yours there, that it uh, actually was getting a little warm. So that kind of gave me the hint that something's going on inside that salt chip that's not normal. <laughs> oh, it's regulating okay, so voltage. It's, it's yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it touches so many systems. It could have been anything of. Yeah. Uh, right. Shock on the cassette, or who knows what. Okay. Well, it's it's good. We have a replacement that works and has been kind of tested, and uh, you know, depending on whether he wants to manufacture it himself for people that need a replacement, or if he wants to make a deal with somebody else to manufacture. At least we have the schematics, et cetera, now to actually make a full blown replacement that we know is working and, and tested. Yeah. Kudos to Pedro. Yeah. Right. Uh, Tandy went with this to replace a lot of chips on the motherboard, a lot of components. So they were trying to simplify as they moved forward. So they took, like in the Coco 1 and uh, the early Coco 2s, there's not a salt chip. There's just all this circuitry. And in the Coco 3, they combined all that into this one IC. So part of the reverse engineering, it was probably going back to the earlier board schematics and looking at what all those components were that they had combined into the one chip. Okay. Yeah, and a real break with modern practice, the Tandy Service Manual details all of this stuff. It's yeah. actually a good reference. You'll never see something like that today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, thanks for having you hardware guys. I knew I guys had, I had you guys on here for a reason because I, I would not answer most of these mm-hmm. questions. Well, that was a, a tech service manual, too. That wasn't really meant for, you know, public. Right, right but you but could it, buy it. <laughs> Yeah, you you could. That's true. Yeah, right from Tandy. That's right. Yeah. So the next one here, uh, Chibi Kumis is doing. Uh, well, he's doing his you know cross platform for you know video game systems, consoles, computers, eight uh, bit, sixteen bit, thirty two bit, etc. <clears throat> so this is his second Coco Three lesson. So he just started doing the Coco Three stuff here, and he seems to get more impressed with the Coco Three as it goes along. Uh, so he's actually you know, gives it a bit of praise here. But basically, in this point, he's doing the actual sprites. Now he's using XOR sprites like he did on the previous Dragon episode we did, and explains you know, how to do memory mapping with the MMU. And as he mentions at the beginning, he's not doing this as the most optimized version of it, and I'm sure Nick and I would agree if we looked at his code, but it's just to get the concepts. Now, unlike uh, George's, which is going to be a generic you know, 6809 tutorial type thing and how to do various things and, and 
learning the instruction set. This is more specifically to do game-oriented stuff because that's what he's ultimately doing on these platforms. So this is covering like how to do a software sprite using XOR. So he goes through all the code and how to set up, you know, the banks of the MMU, et cetera, and how to set the video modes. And the end result is, if I can fast forward a bit here. That's his experience with the actual demo. Yeah, the original thumbnail had the picture of the red ball on the green. Yeah, background. I'm just trying to find it because I know he showed it off running. Yeah, it was... I it was a little bit color one, that's a color three, and so on. So you can pretty much maybe see the smiley here. And if you want to create a sprite in the valid format, you can use Acu Sprite Editor. Acu Sprite Editor exports everything for my tutorials. You can go to 6809, you can go to oh, wow. um, Coco 3 here and save for slash 16 color bitmap and the which of those two it saves will just depend on these options here. So you probably want 16 color bitmap. Okay, so that's our bitmap. That's our memory functions. And so what about drawing that sprite? Well, here's our show sprite routine here. It's, it's pretty much the same as the last one. We're using an XOR sprite. We're using the EOR command to invert what was already on the screen. And this is so we can very easily remove a sprite from the screen. All we do is we draw it in the same position twice. And the second time we'll remove it. So it's, here yeah, it's like a negative screen. image of the background. You reapply yeah. it, it just restores the background. Apple II did that a lot. That's literally what the uh, OS 9 mouse cursor is based on. Yeah. So 8 divided by 2, that's 4 bytes per line. We load in a byte from our bitmap. We keep banking. Um, the screen is now... There's a screenshot of it, but he actually does move it around. He actually has bounds checking on the borders of the screen and stuff too. Anyway, his tutorials are quite good. And he gives you some practical stuff. And stuff like you said, Stevie, is visual. Obviously, because you're moving a sprite around with a joystick type thing. So he goes into all that. So his his series are quite good. He's got the separate Dragon Coco One Two series for doing you know VDG style stuff, and then he's got the stuff running with the Gimme for the Coco Three as well. Plus he's doing you know like Model Ones and Commodores and Amigas and Nintendos and all kinds of stuff. So I mean if you're if you're a person that wants to write a game cross platform and you don't know how to you know do certain systems, definitely go check out his channel. He's got tons of tutorials on all the different things, and he's kind of doing them in bursts for one he'll do a you know a, a chunk of a couple episodes for one particular piece of hardware and one cpu and one graphics chip and then he'll go to something else that has its own hardware sprite chip and a different cpu and a different platform but kind of keeping them all roughly equal as he goes along so you can kind of follow along how to do the same things between these different platforms which is very useful if you want to do cross-platform program uh next up here we got a little project called nitrous nine boring and, uh, <laughs> Can somebody mute Stevie, please? Um, <laughs> so the, the the thing update this week is that Bill finished up the Matchbox Mister version. Nice, um, thank you, Bill. And then yeah, Bill, there's a... some there's some uniqueness to this version compared to the Coco versions, uh, specifically supporting some of the higher text mode stuff. Do you want to kind of explain what all is different between the, the Matchbox slash Mister versus the regular Coco Three version? Well, the Matchbox and Mr. Both, I actually had a long conversation with Roger to find out exactly what he has uh, running already on the Mr. And it turns out that it's pretty much everything except the double height mode does not work on the Mr. yet. Uh, he is actually going to hopefully have that within the next couple of weeks. But the FPU, uh, which is a floating point unit, uh, fully operational and also the full graphics processor is also enabled 
so that you can actually do bite bound sprite systems uh, which is purely by DMA you don't actually have to map screens into memory or anything like that it's all direct oh cool so it's it's just at the point where you have to start you know doing driver modifications because you do have a special yeah. version of the graphics driver here just to handle the 80 by 60 hardware text screens Yes, the hardware tech screens is all active. Uh, the only one that is not changeable to double height is the 32 column yet, which I'm actually working on right now, which is your standard uh, BDG stuff. BDG stuff. Okay, cool. Yeah, it would be interesting to see where you can go with some of the sprite stuff there, because and I know these guys have a bit of a floating point unit, cone unit in there as well, too, so there's some pretty interesting things that the Mister and the Matchbox can definitely do above and beyond. Yeah, well, those. especially with the 256 color mode, because everything is byte-bound already, the GPU just, oh, it, I've done some tests on it, and it's just phenomenally fast since the Matchbox and Mister run at 7 megahertz. Now, the Mister, of course, will run faster than the 7 megahertz, but I don't have one to test with, so. Well, we have a few people that do now. So, I mean, Aaron's got one, Boat's got one, Frodo's got one. So we got some people that regularly use the Cocoa 3 cores, so they can definitely test it for you. Anyway, that's available for download now. Get it on our website. And uh, Thanks I'll for doing that, though. I don't, I don't yeah. have those you know, specialty boxes, but for those who do, um, on their behalf, I'm sure they're grateful that you're maintaining these updates and enhancements for these platforms as well. Yes. And actually, Roger is quite happy uh, over it because he actually wanted me to change, get away from the Matchbox name and actually move it into Real Coco, which is what he's got to cover all his FPGA projects. Yeah, he's kind of rebranding it for the entire envelope, the entire umbrella of all of these different things. Cool. Yep, so available for download. Uh, now that we've got the uh, this version out as well, now I was kind of waiting for this one. I'll be uploading them all to the archive. <clears throat> or Bill, have you already done that? I don't even know. Uh, not yet, no. Okay, I'll just upload them as one big blast. Here. They have an alternative source to go download it to. And it's already enabled for the uh, <laughs> what's Ron Klein's project. Uh, the Cocoa Pie? Yeah, it's already enabled for that too, so it should be an automatic update if you tell it's update. Yeah. And I tried it already, it works good. Then you were saying, Stevie, what were you uh, saying? Well, James Jones says amen to that because he owns the machine formerly known as Matchbox. So James Jones is also echoing the uh, thank you to Bill Noble. Yes. Okay. So, well, thanks, Steve. I know Frodo and a couple others have already downloaded the new. Uh, you know, for the Mr. Type thing. I don't know how much testing they've done because I didn't have a chance to talk to them in a few days, but I they were downloading it a few days ago. So I'll get some feedback from them too and pass it on to you, Bill. You bet. All right, next up, uh, Ken of Canadian Retro Things. We got the Pumpman video from before. He's also a hardware guy. So last week we were coming some of the boards that uh, Mr. Dave 69 is actually on the call today, shipped them. Uh, one was for the Atari uh, 8 bits and the other was for the Coco for the joystick board. So, of course, this being a Coco show, I'm going to skip all that Atari crap. And No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can watch the Atari stuff there, too. I mean, that's we're definitely in the retro community together, you know. Uh, but I'm gonna just going to concentrate here on, on the joystick control. Since Dave's actually on here, do you want to kind of give a, a little bit of background before I play the little clip? Oh, I don't have a whole lot to say, except uh, Ken is a, a guinea pig. So, uh, 
I sent him a pile of boards with very little instructions <laughs> and uh, wished him luck. <laughs> He's still talking to you. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Trial by fire, right? So, See, this is why I never get into hardware, I guess. Right. So I'll, I'll stick with my software. Go away, kid. You bother me. Here <laughs> <laughs> is everything that I need for building this little joystick converter board. This converts Atari twi- a switch-based one, right? Or, or that little resistors here. Yeah, Atari, yeah. MSX, well, Coleco. I am older uh, than I used to be, obviously, like everybody is. But my eyes don't work as well as they used to. And sometimes I have a little trouble reading the colors on them. Especially since I am mildly colorblind, and these blue resistors really, really make it difficult for me to figure out what the colors are on them. Yeah, I could have marked them. But so, I, I got a new toy. And that toy is, your is friend. right here. <laughs> now, this is... There we go. Now, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here, because he did one thing on this. Now, on the very few times in my life I've tried to do hardware projects, what I'm going to show here is a little mistake. Is something I did all the damn time. It's another reason I get frustrated with hardware. Um, and it's just a simple thing. It's just the order you do things. So let me find out where he's actually building this here. Uh, is this the... I have that same silicon board that he's got down there with the screw holders and stuff. I had that. Yeah, one. I got one too. <laughs> yeah. So he does this, you know, is this kind of sped up showing how he's soldering everything together here. And then we get up to what he calls mistake number one. And I've done this personally more times than I would like to admit. The cookies, hey. So I have done an incredibly stupid thing. <laughs> I got the board all together, all soldered into place. I was going to put the uh, end back on the plug, and then I realized, yep, that has to be. forgot to run that through. Well, you yeah, could just cut it in half. Everything. Cut it in half with the razor blade and get some electrical tape and just. The the <laughs> and, and Bill can attest because he's witnessed me do this yep. numerous okay. times. I've even done Let's it. Let's do that. <laughs> I was famous for doing this on ours 232 ports. I would uh, not put the stupid thing the, on. Uh, yeah, the boot. So. What is that all about? You forgot to put the so boot on. So I would just that, say so. screw it and I would just let the RS 232 plug in with raw wiring hanging out and I wouldn't worry about shielding it. Yeah, that's like a crappy network crimp when you can see like four inches of the wires uh, between the sheath and the head, you know what I mean? It's just like, come on, <laughs> man. Come on, that's man. Gotta, that's gotta... <laughs> it's close this, enough. This project I just recently made features that very... Uh, yeah. I cut the end off and just kind of stuck it over <laughs> the end so I the... Yeah, I, just, I I would have been lazy and just kind of cut the sheath in half, put it over there, and just electrical taped it on myself. That's what I did, electrical tape. That was my sheath for every project I did was electrical this tape. <laughs> we'll slide off the end. Luckily, there's shrink tubing now, Curtis. You just kind of slide it over, then hit it with a heat gun. See, now I have retro things. I'll just say, you do this damn thing and just ship it to me when you're yeah, done. Right? That's, you, that's have, you, have, you have cheap Canadian labor at your disposal yeah. now, so yeah. He's got yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, Bill's got competition now for getting all my stupid hardware projects. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, it's, with you, it's more fixes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I broke something else again, Bill. Can you fix it for me? <laughs> That's funny. Next up, we have uh, Sheldon McDonald here who um, has been working on learning how to do access to disk basic um, programs on disk using the Discon routine. So he's not using any direct writes. He's using the Discon official things in the Microsoft Disk Basic 
which basically only covers sectors for the most part. There's no file system. There's no nothing. So he had to figure out how to code to actually, you know, do directory tracks and the granule allocation table and all this other crap. And um, he actually got it running here so that it's actually uh, playing through. So I'll play. It's only two minute video. So I'm is this thing. like is this a similar to what they would say is like using a ROM call then to, to get the information? Yeah, he's using all legal ROM calls to discon. To okay. Do this. And I mean, he said those are very limited. There's a read sector. There's a write sector. And there's a couple other things. And that's it. There's no. Is this supposed to make it faster? No, this is to be able to do writing your own code to be compatible because it's going through discon. It'll work with ADOS. It'll work with HDB DOS, YA DOS, disk basic. It won't be hard coded to something. Or if somebody did a you know an upgrade to a, you know the disk controller or something like that, it would still work because it's going through Hello, the legal Sheldon McDonald here. Um, I just wanted to share some progress of uh, what I'm currently working on, and that just happens to be loading files off of the disk. Uh, in assembly, so if I uh, if I type list right now, there should be nothing, just to prove that I'm loading it in assembly. Uh, load in. I'm just gonna load disk and see. So what you can see over here, I'm doing a uh, a search for this file here. Uh, CocoCAD.Base.Bass. Um, so I'm going to execute this. And this is just a little bit of leftover debugging that I have on the screen. It's just kind of showing uh, the contents of the drive of the, of the sectors that it's pulling. Um, but now that it is done, I should be able to type list and have the program there. <laughs> How cool is that? Um, if you haven't guessed, uh, it's probably something related. It looks to like a lot of note data. data. Oh, that draw statements in there too. Okay. Um, so yeah. it's going to involve being able to load and save basic files, um, which is pretty sweet, and keeping the format intact, uh, so it's completely compatible with uh, with RS DOS. Um, so. I mean, just to show that this is actually running as well, I guess I should prove that. <laughs> but you can see there, it is uh, running just fine after doing a load from assembly. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not really too much code here. I'm just basically pulling the granule table, um, creating a table of files, and um, I can just... Uh, tell it what I'm looking for and when it sees a match um, it'll uh, load that file in awesome. anyway, that's um, something I know a lot of people have had trouble doing in the past is trying to figure out how to use the discon routines because I mean in OS 9 we're kind of spoiled we're used to having an entire set of API calls to do all the file stuff for us we just had you know here's a pointer to the name of the file go save it and that's what we have to do in this basic it's either been write it all yourself or using Discon, which basically covers sector read and writes, and that's pretty well it. Uh, there's a few other little bits in there, but uh, basically not much. Um, it's usually yeah. a bit bit more complicated to do, it, and a lot of people just don't bother. They just write a basic program that does it for them, and then the rest of the stuff's in the assembly language, but that's a little basic loader because it's just so much easier. So having this available you know, later on when he publicly releases it will actually give people a chance to just use those routines. It's already done. It's already been debugged and tested. You're sure it works, and then you can integrate this type of stuff right into your assembly language program to the point where you can save a base program, load a base program, load a bin file, save a bin file, create a data file, whatever else you need to do in your program, 
in assembly without having to have a basic program at all. Yeah. So. Cool. So uh, to add on to this, he's mm -hmm. gone further, and I'm not going to steal his thunder or spoil what's coming, but I think you will find it very, very cool because he's taken this discon replacement and begun adding it to other things. And uh, I, for one, am very excited with what he's got coming up. So definitely keep an eye out and keep chasing him because he's working on cool stuff and we can't let him not get it done. Is he on Discord or is he just on he Facebook? On What's his name on Discord? Is that Lord Dragon? No, nope, that's Todd Wallace. That Sheldon. What's his name on? Is it just Sheldon on? Uh... Yeah, just Sheldon, Sheldon. Okay. He's on Discord as Sheldon. Yeah, we, we need to get him on the show. I mean, he did Treasure Island Defense and stuff too, so yeah. we really need to get him on to just have a general interview at some point. Uh, I'm uh, working mic. So doing claims. live interview kind of thing. He's, yeah. But he does type fairly a lot. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, keep chasing him. And uh, this discon business is the first half of some really cool stuff. Oh, cool! I didn't, I didn't know that. So that's cool. Next up is Rondo Vell still on the call. Yes. I thought I'd highlight this one because it was kind of cool. Because I mean, we've had a ton of little hey. utility programs and stuff for the Cocos, and you actually collected ten Coco Three utilities, made a disk image, and this includes, I think, some older utilities plus some newer ones. Correct. So yep. what, what are they? Because, I mean, I can't remember what some of these file names all are. Well, CPU ID is CPU ID. And um, the gimme ID gives you an idea of which gimme you have. And both of those are included in the um, system. Um, if you click on the list, you'll see there's more there. Uh, sysinfo, system info. See system info. Toward yeah, sysinfo.disk. Okay. Yeah, and it has both of those on there along with uh, whether or not you have a Gimme X, maybe I can't remember. Anyway, <clears throat> that sysinfo is a great um, thing to have, just to um, you know. That's the one Todd did. Yeah, uh, Wallace. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then um, the K disk is uh, a, a disk program. You know, a disk uh, editor. Yeah, I think I've seen it. Yeah, and then projector. Oh, yeah. There's two versions there. Um, I put both versions on because the first one is the older one and that does a lot more different things and it's a little quicker but the second one is uh projector three and that's uh 6309 only it won't work on a oh yeah that's that's roger taylor's uh graphic right. file viewer that handles gifs and right atari and, st and a bunch of other things yeah and side is uh what what our um sdc was based on it's oh, a, sidekick. Um, okay yeah sidekick yeah Stress one two is a stress program for uh, to check in memory, and it will um, detect whether you have one twenty eight five twelve, two K four K whatever. And TW one twenty is that Telewriter yeah. one twenty eight? Yeah, Telewriter for you know it, that I enjoy using. It's easy to use, and you can move it quick, and and um, you know if you want to write a note quick or something and print it. Of course, uh, now we can print through. Um, what is it? Uh, dry wire, I guess, which is yeah. cool. Now, that SysID one, I wanted to show, there's a screenshot you did here, because some oh, people yeah. may have not have seen this, because this is a recent program. And this will kind of show you what the sysinfo for the Cocoa 3 will give you, like, you know, do you have a 609 installed? How much RAM do you have? And it even handles the extended RAM boards that have been added later. Which version of the Gimme? Which version of the disk ROM, which in this case is showing SDC DOS? So it's a, it's a pretty nice utility. If you've just picked up a Cocoa 3, 
off eBay and you're not sure the person that, you know, wrote the specs for it really knew what they were talking about. This is a good quick little program to fire up and you'll find out exactly what your machine's doing or what it has installed. That is cool. Yeah, I saw, actually, I was inspired by, um, I think it was the Commodore guys. I belong to the group, although I, I don't really know much of anything about Commodores. But I just look uh, through and see what they're doing. And then I saw uh, someone posted uh, 10 utilities for the Commodore, and I thought, ah, oh, we should have one. So, <laughs> I, so I, I made the graphic up first, and then I went through my uh, SDC and tried to find some utilities that might uh, fit the bill. And I did what I use mostly, but, you know, other people use other stuff. Yeah, that's cool. You know. well, that's good because right now to find all those different things, like a, a disk editing utility plus a word, you know, text processor and stuff, and then, you know, stuff to identify the hardware, et cetera. You'd have to find, and first you have to figure out what the hell they're called if you're new to the co community. You yeah, have no idea. Exactly. And then you have to find them all on the archive, and they're each a separate disk download, and you might get a Cocoa 1, 2, only one, and, oh, crap, I need a Cocoa 3, 1, et cetera. So this actually narrows it down. Yeah. You can get this all in one shot. Kevin Holloway idea. has to go. Let's all say goodbye hey, to I Kevin got, Holloway. I got a blob coming down. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's been here since like 2 a.m. the night before. Kevin gets here like 12 hours early. So thanks for being here for like the past 96 hours straight, Kevin. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is cool, Ron. Thanks for doing that. I don't know why yeah. you'd want to, but yeah, sure. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good idea. So I to thank you for doing that, Ron. And um, yeah, Thank you for covering it. And Sidekick, if I remember, like that's the predecessor to the uh, yeah. so, SDC Explorer. But this works on like hard drives and stuff. Like so if you have a Birkin Burke or a Kenton or something, it works on that too, right? I think so. Yeah. So I've been getting some comments on some of my older videos where somebody is asking me the question, Can is there anything like the Coco SDC for, for emulators? And and there, there there isn't, but I think I understand what the bigger question is because ultimately we don't need to emulate a Coco SDC because we can already load disk images on an emulator. Basically, what the Coco SDC does for real hardware is it lets you do what you normally do with an emulator, right? Load a disk image, but into real hardware. So he's been asking the question: Is there any way to get something like the Coco SDC on XROAR or whatever? I think really the question is is can we get something like the SDC Explorer to run on an emulator yeah. where we can then have a menu inside the emulated Coco pull up a disk image and then just run that and so I think that's probably really what they're what they're after and I think that would be kind of cool to have that so that sidekick program is the program that you would need um, and maybe having that pull stuff off of a virtual hard drive because if you're trying to do it over drive wire, not all disks won't work over the drive wire, right? Because you're kind of you can't do certain things that require you to read and write back to the disk on drive wire. Um, but to have something like the Coco SDC menu running on an emulated Coco, having access to all your software, where you can then not have to keep going back to the user interface of the actual emulator, but do it all in system, that would yeah. be kind of cool. Especially with MAME, because you have to like disable, put in a partial emulation, then the escape key is suddenly I'm going to exit by accident key. Right. Right. <laughs> and uh, I also included the um, graphic I made so that uh, if you get this little download and you put it on your SD card, you can uh, actually use uh, the Projector 3 to um, bring it up if you have a Coco 3 with a 6309. It, it, um, the uh, number Projector 2 um, won't do it because it's, uh, it's a BMP file. Okay. 
you have some BMP converters, you probably could make it so that works. Yeah, on the maybe two too. Mm. Neat stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. Next up, uh, we're into the MC10 section. We got three stories. So Jim Gary, not Jim Brain, uh, converted an educational program called World Geography. Now, this was originally written in French for the Alice, which is that red MC10 clone we've, mm-hmm. we've shown before. So he's converted both from French to English, plus he's converted from the Alice to the MC10. But actually, it's 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 not just geography. It also gives in a bit of the solar system and stuff too. So it's an educational thing. Has a bit of a quiz at the end, but he actually has some pretty cool animations at the at the beginning of it. And during it, so it's not just, you know, here's a static picture, but it's all low res, which is kind of interesting. The Earth and the universe. Are those stars? Apparently. Okay. It's cool that he uses the space key. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this. This is the uh, the planets. Can you pick out Saturn in that low res picture? Possibly. Which one of these is Uranus? <laughs> Now, you can tell it's a bit old because it mentions nine planets, and, of course, Pluto's... Pluto is still a planet. Would be the crack there. Pluto, a dwarf They put Pluto back on the list. Yeah. And he's he's got these color-coded things, which he actually uses extensively throughout here that, uh, you know, to designate... (laughs) The French... uh, So, Dave... Mr. Dave's saying... 10, go to Le 20. 20, go to Le 20. That's the French Alice, right? Go, go to Le 20. Right? <laughs> Is the Earth round? It's flat, but round, yeah. Okay, round and flat. Okay, like a pizza. Big old pizza in space. Also turns out on its own axis and takes 24 hours for a full... And here's like showing the daylight and the, the, the yeah. dark side, et cetera. So, so I it's, have it's, to say, this is way better than PowerPoint. And it, oh, look at this. It's Oh, man, look at that. Look at yep. that. Like, that's pretty impressive. That is 100% impressive. And this I was done. Yeah. I can see Russia from my house. Oh, that's wow. right. <laughs> but if you noted, it's impossible to see all the continents at the same time. Okay, so we are re- we have a map that represents things. It's called the planisphere. Is that a French thing? Because I would have just called it a Mercator projection. Look at that! Look at that! This who who needs Google Maps when you have this? Man, <laughs> look at this! Yeah, you're gonna put this in for the Coco. Yeah, map the Coco map. This week. is the Coco map as done by a Coco, right? So. <laughs> that is neat. And here, here you get into the oceans color-coded with the continents in black. Australia. Oh, this is the... Uh, so now we're getting into, like, the jet stream and stuff, too. we got the equator, and we got where the jet stream is and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's kind of a heat map, really. It's, uh, yeah. But So Australia is down there in the bottom right-hand corner, right? Australia and New Zealand? That must be New Zealand there, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yep. So... about there? The, the See, like Australia is beneath the jet stream, so the be- jet stream is kind of a belt that goes right through the middle of that planisphere, and um, Australia is kind of beneath that jet stream down there. And uh, here's they get into the quiz parts. They give you a list of all these like star names and all kinds of stuff. And they say pick up the nine. Oh, plants Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. So uh, <laughs> I just noticed their projection has France in the center of the screen, where our projection has the U.S. in the center of the screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Mercury. 
No self-serving going on there, right? I did like this, though, because they threw in some, you know, fictional planets like Vulcan. And right after Pluto, they put Donald because they're both, you know, Mur- Disney characters yeah. and stuff. Plato. Oh, the planet Plato. I love that one. I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to eat Plato. It smelled good. I ate it, right? So is that, or is that something <laughs> different? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Capricorn. Asteroid. I'm from planet Asteroid. Nanu, nanu. Right? So <laughs> You're curious. <laughs> Terrifying. Sirius is the dog star or satellite radio, depending on what you subscribe to. Uh, Tatooine. Tatooine. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the last part of the program demo here is all the quiz stuff. Planet Phoenix. I'm from Planet Phoenix or Arizona. You take your pick. Planet Nuts. Yeah, I think all of us here are on Planet Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> There is a constellation named Phoenix. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, it's a very well done program. I uh, absolutely. A lot of animations, nice graphic presentation, considering the limitations of working with SG4. And a lot of information, a lot of data squeezed into this program, man. Yep. No, it's a pretty decent one. It's one of the better educational games in MC10, or educational programs in MC10 I've seen. Yeah. Totally. Speaking of, so in this case here, Robert Siegel, of course, is like the, the Jim Gary, the part two, I guess you'd call him, because he's been cranking out a lot of stuff with MC-10 lately. Um, but he mentions here about the DC Alice, which is an emulator from, that covers the MC-10, the Alice 4K, the Alice 32, and the Alice 90. So it even covers those extended ones that had 80 column cards and, and you know, all kinds of things built into it, too. And he mentions uh, it also emulated, the emulator's been updated to handle all those, and also emulates the MCX, MCX32 FDJ floppy controller developed by Darren and Now, I remember hearing about this. I haven't actually seen one. Mm. But there was an actual hardware adapter to run floppy drives on the MC-10. I remember Rogelio had done a video on that. Yeah, it was yeah. around like the mid-2010s or something. Yeah. I think it was released yeah. or something. So I decided to take a look at this because he was mentioning that there's a new version of this that just came out. And uh, here's the actual page. Now, it's in French, so you want to run it through Google Translate, et cetera, here. But, uh, Le French. But you can see here, like the one he was mentioning that added most of these features is just the uh, May 20th one from 2020. But there's another one here, which looks like it just is more like a bug fix version here, uh, updated in August of 2020. So it's actually not even not even a year old. So this is still an active emulator, but it actually supports the extended Alice family line, whereas most of the other MC10 emulators I've seen stick with the MC10. You might have right. memory upgrades and stuff. Right, but, right, 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 right. But this is covering like floppy emulation and the 80 column card emulation. All this stuff is looks in like so it's got to... like the go tape flop uh, cassette emulator up type uh, type thing up there too. Yeah. Yep. So it looks like a really decent emulator. I've not even heard of this emulator before. I've seen like some. And you notice before. how it has like the keyboard breakout down there where you could actually yeah, the, see the, uh, the uh, yeah, yeah the MC10 keyboard and. Um, yeah, so it's definitely an emulator I want to I want to do some playing with because I've never actually tried this one before. So I'll see right, I think the one downside to working on the MC10 is working on that keyboard. So if you could do it using your real keyboard on your computer, to, but to get crank out some code. Yeah, Def- definitely interesting. Like I said, I'd never heard of this one. I didn't know we had one. Like I've heard we covered not too long ago that the Alice 90 and stuff had an 80 column card. I think it even had a sprite chip or something else. I can't remember all it had, and memory way past you know the limits that the original MC10 and the Alice had. And I didn't realize there was an emulator that actually covered all those extended machines. And yeah, there is. And you can actually run all that software, plus all the original MC10 and 20K MC10 stuff. Cool, cool, cool. And the last of the MC10 stories here is uh, from Darren Ottery, who's written a screen editor for the semi-graphic screen. He said it's fairly primitive for now, but Jim Gary requested that he post it up. And then I think Simon mentioned the comments. You can actually use this online semi-graphics editor as well. 
you want to do it online, but if you want to do it right on your MC10, I mean, here it is, and you can you know, pick your colors. It even supports the extended character set with the light orange, if you want to do 32 by 16. So it uses the alternate character set to get that extra couple of colors. So you can actually do 10 color graphic screens on here too. It's 32 by 16 and mix the text with it as well. So if you want to design like, you know, a graphical adventure game or something like that, you can do some of the drawing here and save your, save your files out. And this is actually specifically geared up for the MCX 32 SD. So this actually has the disk support okay. to save your creations and load them back off the virtual disk. Fantastic invention, that MCX 32. Yep. And uh, the download link here, which I'm sure Mark is posting in the uh, chat, there's actual direct link to his Google Drive to download it. Thank you, Daz. Nick's neighbor. Yeah. Final one here is a dragon one. So John Whitworth, the creator of the MC, uh, MSX2 Plus, uh, said the next batch of three Newton soldered boards are almost ready to go out. Now this was published on the 15th, so maybe that's actually shipped already. I'm not sure that each of these boards currently takes me about two to three hours to build. Maybe he should talk to Frank. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, it's, it's basically he's actually got some of these going out. I know Pear's actually been doing some software development for it, as has John and a few others. So I mean, there's some demos. I don't know if Kieran's involved with you know doing anything with this kind of stuff, but we've seen some pretty amazing stuff. I know the AGD uh, engine that we've demonstrated here last year with a ton of ports from the Spectrum um, has now got some additional stuff that is uh, using this these boards here to get the colored sprites and and you know, more colors on the screen and using the sound chip for it for music, etc. So it's a pretty pretty substantial upgrade for the Dragon. It's kind of like their version of the Coco VJ or Gimme X or maybe a sound card combined in at the same time. So it's a pretty big jump. Of course, as with any new hardware, you know, where's the software support? And well, Pear and a few others have been working on that. So there is some software support coming. Once he kind of gets the entire AGD engine tweaked, that 200 plus games we've seen that he's already ported just raw to the Coco One Two and Dragon, mm -hmm. we'll start getting the extended capabilities with the extra colors, the sprites, the music, etc. Sound effects. Gonna jump so. jump out of monochrome and get into full color, full color. Yep, full color. Full yes. color. Yes. So I, I'm I'm definitely watching this project. I don't have a dragon, but I'm really it's really cool to yeah, see. This should work on a cocoa though. This is a board. It's the basically yeah. yeah. It's it's just a cartridge, right? And it's just all register based. So you're just gonna bang on a byte somewhere. Yeah, and, the uh, only thing I'd be worried about is it hard coded because it's based on you know stuff from the UK. Is it based on 50 hertz? And maybe I mean a lot of monitors will auto sync these days, so maybe it's not a problem if you have mm. a modern monitor on it. But it might be a problem if you have a CRT. I don't know. If, if Karen's in the chat, I think he was in there earlier, or if anybody else in the UK can actually attest to this and get some details on that, I don't know, but uh, it's pretty cool. Cool. Is that and the that's end of the news? End of the news. Oh, and we're oh, well, we're just a little bit past the three-hour mark. We're trying to we're trying to shoot for three-hour shows whenever possible. But we had a great guest today, and we even we even with light news, sometimes the guests uh, carry on. We still have project updates and acquisitions to get to. Uh, which I don't know that we had a ton. I do want to um, kind of do a follow-up to something I was trying to say last week that I think took a lot longer and maybe some stuff was lost in the process. But kind of long story short, what I wanted to do last week when we were talking about the ease of use beta update, I just wanted to give Curtis a big pat on the back for all the work he's done. And I kind of wanted to emphasize the fact that the, the version that he's working on definitely has been catered to people who probably would have not been interested in it. And so making an easy to use bootable version is, is good to get more people interested. So that was really the, the summary of where I was trying to go. I think it took a long time for me to get there. And then along the way, I think it might've possibly been misconstrued to where perhaps I was 
maybe I was certainly not intentionally, but was I either a stirring the poop pot or maybe b disrespecting other people and other projects? That wasn't my intention. I really the goal was just to give Curtis a pat on the back and Curtis and Bill and everybody else because the Ease of Use project has been four years in the making, and they've not only made it easy to get up and running, but they're obviously doing a lot of things to optimize the operating system. Blah 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 blah. So pat on the back, Curtis. But that being said, yes, the original project, which is being, I think, maintained by Tormod. Is Tormod the guy who maintains that? The, 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 I believe he's the one, one, of the, one of the few guys, right? So, so, so there is the the Nitrous Nine distribution project that's been out there, and there's a bunch of people working on that. And I, by no means, meant to disrespect any of them because I don't even know them, honestly. So, um, so that wasn't my point. So, the fact that Nitrous Nine has been out there and that a lot of people have known about it and are using it is great. And I did not mean to disrespect anybody who has been maintaining it and using it, and those who are using the traditional version. No disrespect respect yeah. i was really just trying to thank curtis for 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 creating a version of nitrous nine for people like me who would have never gone out of their way to use the traditional way of using it and trying to figure it out on my own and so all respect is given to all versions of nitrous nine and all users of nitrous nine but special thanks to curtis boyle for making the steve splain version of it so yeah. Boom. I will also mention that the, the official Nitro 9 product, I mean, we based EOU on that, which was, of course, based on the commercial route oh. back in 2002, I think it was. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just figured I, I should clarify that because I didn't mean to to disrespect or step in anybody's toes by, by complimenting Curtis. But I think I was I was trying to do a long, dramatic buildup for Curtis to really make my thank you you know, exuberant. And so, and, and in the process, I probably annoyed or irritated somebody, but that's anytime I open my mouth, that's going to happen. So yeah. I also uh, wanted to basically give a shout out to them too, because I mean, if you want to get into the nitty gritty bit of details and stuff, there's more stuff in their project in, and you have to build it all yourself type thing or find the right disc just to get the different pieces. There's more stuff in there for hardware support for some, you know, older cards and stuff. And we have in you know, you we're trying to make you a fairly common platform like most people have an sdc or an emulator but some people might be running a canton stuff we don't have that directly in there it works you just have to install it yourself so if you want that kind of stuff like third driver support beyond the base stuff that we have that's the place to go get it so definitely you know head on over and, and you know bill or i or somebody else can help you if you're, if you're getting stuck on that and somebody else yeah. was getting ready to say something i thought I well know. stevie You've already said sorry in the beginning of the show. It covers everything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if any, if any, yeah, yeah. if any off-color comments were made, we're sorry, right? So, yeah, um, there we go. There we go. But yeah, we love everybody. We got no animosity here. We're not trying to stir anything up here. Um, now that being said, uh, we have our final part of the show. Uh, some people's favorites, maybe not all others, but this is where we get into updates and acquisitions. And I know there was a few people who said they had stuff to share, and I don't even remember who those people were because that was like nine hours ago when we started the show. So who said they had something to share this week? I don't remember. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Mark Oberholzer had something. Okay. Um, I can show some quick after. Okay, so we'll do Mark Overholzer, then we'll get to Mr. Dave. There's somebody else, too, that did, too. Rondo. Rondelville. Ron. 
Yeah. And okay. by the way, Brian Weezer thinks on the call, so I don't know. Yeah, but we to. we were already into we're in our fourth hour. We can't deal with him today. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> if he wants to do a teaser, he can do that. Mark Overholzer, you have the spotlight, sir. Oh, thank you. Um, so somebody had asked me recently. A couple of people had asked about some of the um, proto boards that I had did previously. And somebody else asked me about uh, David Ladd's mouse board. So I actually had some made up. Let's go. Oh, there we go. So, um, so previously I had some uh, proto boards that were made by uh, Jason Lee Steer. That's kind of fuzzy. Uh, these are designed for a Teensy 3.5 or 3.6 uh, to be on there. Well, Jason made some new ones that are full proto boards. So you can do your little projects on them. Anyway, I have these available for sale if anybody's interested in some. I've got. Uh, blue and red and black and green and I have these in black and white and green. Also, mouse boards. I have some mouse boards. Uh, single joystick uh, or basically a single mouse PS2 into it goes to the joystick port. can be used with the uh, Joey switcher so you can uh, have a real uh, PS2 mouse on it. Anyway, I haven't figured out the price on these yet. I got a total of both parts. Anyway, but I have those if somebody wants to contact me. And what's the best way to contact you? Would that be through Discord? Discord, Facebook, um, send an email. I'm on Instagram, Snapchat. Are you on Snapchat? Uh, yeah, I, no. I what about Instagram. TikTok? Are you on TikTok? No, on TikTok. Okay. Am, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So reach out to Marco and get all of your board product board needs from one stop shop. Boring. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where's okay? I can't spot. <laughs> I can't spotlight Mr. Dave until he starts showing something. So, Mr. Dave, when you're ready to show, I will spotlight you. Ready? Okay. Hit share. Sharing, sharing. It's just a small update today. Here we go. Okay. Extended Basic 1.1 CPU 6309 2020 by Tandy. Damn, this keyboard is great. Ooh, look at that. You have green keys. Yeah, I'm building keyboards, and I'm on my third revision now. And uh, it's set up for gamers. We have extra arrow keys. Uh, the arrow keys are doubled on both sides of the keyboard. Uh, I'm using Cherry MX silent switches, so it's a quiet keyboard, except for the gaming buttons. They're our favorite little clicky buttons. Now, does and this plug have, does this plug directly into the Coco pin edge connector, or does this require some type yep. of other interface? No interface. It's just a direct swap. If you want to preserve your keyboard and and bang on this one for a while, and then switch back, you'll be able to. Ooh. So what are the? So is this for a Coco one, two, and three? Yep. So you have it's the function the, keys. Yep. Function keys got the clear key. Uh, we got an LED in there somewhere. Oh, we have a blinky light. Yeah. Do you have another picture? I have. Well, I've been putting like 50 pictures a day on Discord. But, oh, okay. Um, yeah, if you got a picture of the whole keyboard to show the extra extended keys you've added. Yeah. Yeah, I could take a look. Let's see. And then Slo yeah, Sloopy's not here now. Okay, yeah, Sloopy had to drop off because he wasn't feeling as good or something. He needed a rest. So Sloopy, was, Sloopy did have an update, but he's not here now. Um, I don't know if Brian Weiser is going to chime in in a minute or not. He's, he's on mute. Um, so you're getting ready to pull up another we picture, slap, Mr. We Dave? Slap, we slap. Uh, Here we go. This one's probably not much better. Doesn't show But anything. it's kind of no. violet colored. I mean, it's like these are Hulk colors. We got the purple and green, or Joker colors, depending on if you're, who your favorite 
comic comic book character is, right? Uh, I like that kind of a pastel purpley color. Where are you sourcing your keys from? You know, I've tried different places. Uh, I Alibaba. Like, I'm really trying to keep this like low budget. Uh-huh. And so far, the cheapest place is eBay. Okay. We're getting uh, different kind of keys. So it'll fit any keycap set uh, that, that fits the standard uh, Cherry MX. Okay. Interesting. And there's also going to be some hardware assignable keys. So if someone wants to have a key doing something specific, well, they'll be able to. This was version one. It was terrible. It, it worked good, but... So you're not producing these keys. You're purchasing them. They're, they're pre-made. Well, I'm producing the boards. Okay, but the actual I, physical keys and switches are... You're not, you're not like producing the key caps or anything, right? No. No, I made them fit uh, standard. Um, right. So, like, like Ed Snyder's having to laser engrave certain keys. So, you're just doing some prefab keys that have all the letters and stuff on them. Yeah, I buy sets of uh, 104 keys and then I, you know, mix and match them to. Yeah, that's cool. The different color combinations and whatnot. Have you got a picture of the board? Yeah, here it is. Oh, wow. I mean, an actual, an actual picture. <laughs> it is an actual that picture. That is an actual picture. Oh, okay. Is that a mylar of some kind? Yeah, it's a bit hard to pick out. No, it's a, it's, I'll look for a better picture. It's a standard uh, PCB board. Uh, the funny chip-looking socket up there is just the connector for the, the wire that goes to the uh, Coco. It's still a passive keyboard. There's no, uh, no funny stuff like my other one. Neat. That's cool. What if you had to guess what um, that had to sell for? What would that? Here you go. Here's here's a better picture of the whole PCB. Yeah, this was a failed layout. So my latest uh, are in production as we speak. So that's a drop-in replacement. Like it'll fit straight into a Coco as is. Yep. If it in a Coco. just like that, no damage if you want to switch back to your regular. Uh, All right, no, no diesel, no soldering or cutting or clipping or anything else. You don't have to spay or neuter your cocoa in order to use this. So, um, cool. And you have a yeah. picture of the full width of the keyboard? Like, as you mentioned, there's extra sets of arrow keys, and I want to kind of convey to people what, what use that is by showing a picture. Well, of the, the it's because it's in, it's in um, production right now. I'm working on different layouts. Okay, so so I've been changing things around quite a bit of where I want arrow keys and all kinds of stuff. Okay. Will their background be black, like uh, the Cocos, or you know, uh, gray? Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna three D print. Yeah, the, I think, uh, and so I think that's the only thing that is why I'm resisting getting an Ed Snyder Coco Mech keyboard is that I don't like that diamond layout of the arrow keys on the Coco Three. I don't like the Coco 3 keyboard. If he had a Coco 2 style one where the arrow keys were on, the, you know, up and down keys were on the left, I would like that. You know what I mean? So, 
It depends what you're using it for. Like I, I like the Coco Three Diamond layout if I'm using like the keyboard mouse under Nitrous Nine because that's it puts them all in the same spot. You can move around in your four directions. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to play an old Coco One Two game with the left right, oh look at you these! Know, your up and down arrows on the left and your right left on the, yeah. on the right side. It's much better. Now my understanding is, Mister Dave, you're actually doing both. You're going to have kind of the diamond shaped keys on one side, but you're also going to have the up and down arrows duplicated on the far left, so you can do either or, right? Exactly, yeah. There's a right arrow on the right side. There's a left arrow on the left side. There's also a left arrow on the left side. Like, I'm keeping the original diamond, Uh but I've mapped them elsewhere. Okay. And there'll be extra fire buttons. Oh. Uh, Extra, I think it's around 62 keys so far. Wow. So that's going to be the final. The the F1 and F2 and other, other gaming use buttons are going to be clicky. They're using the MX uh, blue switches, okay, which give you that nice clicky feel. Uh-huh. The rest of the keyboard is silent. Ah, neat. It's probably looking at around 80 bucks US. Oh, wow. That's extremely reasonable. And if I can get it cheaper, if I can get a, you know, if it's popular and people want it, well, then I'll. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll be happy with one that has all the reject keys that don't even match colors and stuff. If you want to give me the hodgepodge, you know, like a psychedelic swirl keyboard, I'll be happy with that. So I don't, I don't need a matching color scheme. <laughs> I'll take the rejects. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's gonna. Be, I, I bought a lot of. Oh my god! Look at that. <laughs> that that is almost like a mahjong game at this point. It's like, what the <laughs> hell's going on here? Um, Had, are there letters on there? Or? No, they're just no. pictures. You can okay. put laser some letters in. If that's you where your touch type is. That really know the keyboard well, apparently. Yeah. That all well, every I'm, girl. You got to remember the girl's uh, name, and uh, <laughs> the first letter of her name is the is the. <laughs> My plan for this set is I'm going to split it up. So I'm going to use maybe the shift keys from this and ah. use them as highlights. So if someone buys a keyboard, you could get a few extra keycaps because you'll be able to switch. They're the interchangeable. Anytime you want. Yeah, yeah, like a space bar. You don't need the word space printed on it, right? So that could be anything, right? So, um, oh, here's an idea. Make the space bar be like black with like stars on it so it looks like outer space, right? So boom, With some LEDs bar, so it actually right? so, lights up too. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll tell you right now, the space bar is, is lighting up. Oh. <laughs> so are we going to get the Cylon? Oh, here we go. Here's the gold Our Cylon gold case. Piece. Gold Cylon. That matches my teeth, right? So mm-hmm. um, boom. <laughs> Look at it that. matches my pimp neck chain. Yeah, too, that's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're going to have a choice. If you want to put a, a set of $10 keycaps on it, that's fine, you know, and we can mix up the colors. If you want to go, like, I mean, they have resin printed ones with, like, actual items in it. I mean, you could go crazy with this if you want. A question for you. From these places that you order these keys for, uh, do they allow custom ones? Like if somebody wants to make their own set and just send them the artwork for it, they can do it? Yeah, a- anything is possible with it. People are resin printing custom keys, um, keys that are like embossed. You can get blank keys and, and laser etch them like, uh, like Ed, Ed is does. doing. Um, you can, I don't know. It, I mean, there's there's keycaps with fish on them. There's keycaps with... Anime Girls, uh, your favorite video games. Let's name it. 
It's a whole new market for custom keyboards, man. I, I do like the but, fact you're doing the arrow keys on both sides, though, because I mean, if you want to play an old Coco One Two game like Sea Dragon or Avenger or something, it's impossible to play in the Coco Three keyboard because of the way the arrow keys are laid out. So that sol- completely solves that problem. Yet you still have it if you're trying to do like you know running MV Canvas or something like that. But it's handy sure. to have the arrow keys next to each other. There's a uh, Godfather keyboard set, but there's no break or escape key. <laughs> what you need is a keyboard that's got a connector that attaches to the arrow key so that you can plug a Atari joystick into the side of the Coco, which acts uh, as the arrow, the arrow keys. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, everything's fine. You've got a joystick. Well, I, I did design the keyboard um, that it will be able to take a future interface board. So I could have something planned in the future that will just, you know, you unplug it and plug this in, and then you'll get extra features. Because I did put two extra keys that are are completely hardware mappable. You can do whatever you want. If you want a power switch or, uh, or an extra fire button, so instead of using the large space bar, maybe you want to use the little button, you know, you can go faster. Or... Uh, Control out reset in one hit. Yeah, Qui-Gon was looking for something for his MIDI functions. Hmm. That's left in the open. Okay, neat. So it should be about 10 days and I'll get my boards uh, in the new batch. Excellent. I'll be ready to build. All right. We've been joined by Jason the Cocoa Man Riker. Jason, have you had a sandwich today? Did Sarah do her job? <laughs> I believe I have had a type of sandwich. I was just I was just checking to see if this was still on or if this was a repeat. No, the, the train the train wreck is still rolling. Yeah, yeah we still haven't finished from last week yet, so we're still going. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. Hi, guys. Hey, and Brian Weezer joined us a little while ago too. He's on mute. I'm not sure if you're there or not. Brian, do you copy? Brian, do you read us? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, and yeah. you're you're on the road too, right? Yes, I'm on the road as well. Mm-hmm. Now, are you coming or going to your destination? Because we heard a little bit about it here on the show. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, I'm coming uh, from a destination, and so yep, I will have a, a future uh, presentation, hopefully in the next week or two, to share with okay. folks. And, and then, how many hours should we reserve for this segment? <laughs> how big a truck I, is it? <laughs> No, I'll, I'll probably I'll probably like a fifteen minute uh, presentation each each week for a few weeks. Yeah, we're gonna have no. well, that, that we're gonna have a show just dedicated to Brian Weasler. It'll be Brian Weasler <laughs> talk. So yeah, um. no, I, I bought a fifteen minute segment I have planned um, to, to share, and then uh, there'll be some other stuff uh, in the future. So yep. And what size semi did you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a fleet. I have a fleet. There's a. We have a caravan going here. Oh yeah. my goodness, Coco co- Caravan. Uh, this is, the yeah. saddest thing is, is I don't even know if you're joking or not. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do my uh, portion, and I'll show you his truck. Yeah, right. <laughs> but thanks for asking. But yeah, right at this point, I. I'm I'm still driving and I, I don't have anything to share. No, that's uh, fine. Other than that's fine. Future. So yep, to, thank you. Brad. Wanted to say hi to you. Make sure you get a chance thank to say you. hi to everybody. Yep. Uh, yep. Enjoy the show. All right. Anybody else had an update, acquisition, something to show, something yeah, to share? Something to show. All right, Ron. Something to share right here. Okay, Ron. Here we go. We're we're anxiously waiting. 
Ron's garage. Oh, inside yep. of uh, Coco uh, drawing program. Was that, that uh, Co- Coco Max? Max three Max yeah. Color Max Color Max. Is it Color Max or Coco Max? So. I think it's Color Max. Anyway, doesn't matter. Coco Max, I think. Here, yeah. Here's my version of um, Brittany on uh, the T two machine that uh, he said not to try because <laughs> it isn't right color wise, but it doesn't look too bad. Brittany Spears T one machine. And then um, I found this. Windows Windows made? 10 on a Cocoa cartridge. Yes. What do you think? Nah. Is it optimized for the 6309, it says there, huh? No, but you know what? Let's take a look here. Oh, Someone look at that. Like. That is incredible. <laughs> it looks like it blue screened on you there. <laughs> <laughs> it says it seems to work fine. Hard to read the letters, though. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the uh, funny thing is funny. that Windows 10 cartridge popped up on another Facebook group of mine called Riff Picks, where oh, you know, really? were riffing on different picks, and somebody put that on there. I said, I comment with, I know where you got that from. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're like, uh-huh. Photoshop fakery. Yep. That looks good, Ron. Yep. And here's uh, some more of Brittany on, Brittany on my Spears. Uh, Coco 3. <laughs> no, that's uh, my Coco Pie. Sorry. Coco Pie. Yeah. Mm, I'm getting hungry. Don't talk about pie. That's not my pie. Uh, uh, Timberman's up and been playing with that, and then I've been playing with colors on my um, Deskmate. I have a lot of files on Deskmate that I saved off. I would love to have it on my uh, ease of use someday. Yeah, I got to patch it because it actually right now it's crashing, so I got to yeah. figure what's going on. Well, here's um, back in the day, I think, I don't know, 80s sometime. Yeah, I remember that. It. Yeah. And uh, to find it, I thought that was cool if I'd play it again. Yeah, it's from Rainbow Magazine. I remember and, that. Uh, the Space Shuttle. I, I made it loop. Nice. It goes off and comes back on. It's drawn. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty good with the draw command. Yeah, draw and paint. Ron, that's it. Ron's garage. Oh, here's, here's his truck. Oh, there's Brian standing in front of his truck, I see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's Brian's first trip, right? That was and, he la- said, and he said, if this isn't enough, he can find a use of these other trucks. <laughs> Somewhere I have them. Oh, they're not there. Okay, sorry. I have a whole bunch of trucks sitting at a dock or whatever. Yeah, Facebook has had to open up a whole new data center to store all yeah. of Ron's group pages. Um <laughs> Excellent, excellent, excellent. Have we covered everything, or have we covered yeah. enough for one day? Enough. I got a blob about to fall. Did anybody want to watch? No, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Comes. We're Wait. good. Here it comes. Here oh, it put it on. That's his. Uh, he's talking about his lava lamp when he talks about his falling blob. Um, all right. So, anybody else have anything they wanted to update or share or talk about? Or we're gonna pre- we're gonna press the button and put a fork in this one. We're still going to do a newbie sometime. We are oh, forks. We are. We will do a newbie section. Uh, we're going to do. We're going to do some, you know, information for beginners and newbies to the hobby. And also, we are wanting to do a dragon talk. Although we've talked about doing the dragon talk now, we actually need to talk to the dragon people and start planning. I think Mark Overholzer was going to um, spearhead some of that for us, as far as being yes, the. Yes, I'm uh, going to drive that project. Okay, so. Uh, on that note, let's say goodbye. I'm not going to play the outro. We're just going to everybody say goodbye. So, Mark Overholzer, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. And uh, L. Curtis Boyle, thank you for being here. 
Yeah, no problem. And we'll see you all next week. Right. L. Ron Delvo, thank you for being here. <laughs> L. Ron Delvo. Yeah. L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard, right. L. Uh, Rick Eulen, thank you for being here. Another interesting show. Thanks, yeah, Thank you. L. Bill Noble, thank you for being here. Yellow, <laughs> goodbye. And L. Jason and Sarah, thank you for being here. Push the button, Frank. Right. L. Mark B., thanks for being here. Bye. Uh, Lay Mr. Dave 6309. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. À la prochaine. Oui, oui. Uh, L. Alan Murphy, thank you for being here. Thank you. Great show. L. Nick Morentes, thank you for being here. He's sleeping again. He's sleeping. And uh, L. Brian Weasler, thank you for being here as well. Thank you. See you all next week. And I am L. Stevie Stroh. We're going to press the button here. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, 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 everybody